<laughs> I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube Wednesday, mm. NFL preview show. We're previewing all things Week 12 because we're not coming in tomorrow. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving Eve to everybody. It's your Week 12 preview. It is. Week 12. Week 12. Already. And we've got uh, 16 games. It's a full slate. They're making us work extra this week, of course. Um, plus, we got two extra. we got two bonus games that we're going to predict here just like we did the gray cup last week we got some big ones to round out the show so stick around black friday football for the first we got, time we got black friday they're really they're getting closer sam to my suggestion just island games all the way through the week uh, island game weekend thursday through sunday one game at a time sunday. all the way through all the way through monday maybe tuesday Do it through as monday. well yeah yeah island week yeah that's right what I'm saying. we want to highlight every single every single team they all get their own their own island game it's what we want. That's mm-hmm. how you really want to highlight the best of the NFL product. I feel like that would make me go insane. Well, yeah, because we have to work it. Right. Like back when you weren't working, it's like, oh, football's great. Like I was singing the other day. I mean, it's still great. We love know, this job. Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm like, wow, two days off. I, I've reached the point in the season where I'm like, I could really do it two days off. And then yeah. I'm like, there's four games during those two days. I'm not having, there's no time off. There's no time off. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to recap those games on Monday. Um, so you ready to go? Yeah. Let's get into it. Thanksgiving football. Of course, it's always going to be in Detroit. Green Bay Packers at the Lions. That's your 12.30 start time, Eastern. Reggie White versus Barry Sanders. Yep, Reggie White and Barry Sanders. A classic Packers-Lions game. I know you're all jacked up on Barry Sanders' documentary right now. Love so I'll give, you, I'll give you 30 seconds if you want to. <laughs> I, I know, you know we, could, we could go on tangents here, Sam, yeah, yeah. at times, if people are just tuning in. It's a tight show. We've got time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a Barry Sanders documentary called Bye Bye Barry, I think, is on Amazon right now. Um, I mean, if you're of a certain vintage, right, i.e. us, it'll take you right back there to the 90s, right, watching Barry Sanders just embarrass a whole series of Hall of Famers. The number of guys he makes miss in which they don't even touch him, they That's just awesome. fall over, is insane. Um, but it's a great watch. Like, it's a, it's a great documentary. <clears throat> if, you don't, if you didn't see Barry Sanders the first time around, it's worth watching because a lot of the highlights, you've probably seen them anyway, but they're you know, in decent quality and it's good watching there as opposed to a small YouTube window. And if you saw him the first time around, it's just a great nostalgic trip down memory lane. So well worth watching. All right, how about in this game? The Lions themselves sitting here at 8-2, and and um, seven-and-a-half-point favorites over the Packers. Packers coming off a win against the Chargers. And I would say, if you're a Packers fan, a little bit of optimism here over the last couple of weeks. I think Jordan Love getting a little bit better these last few weeks, playing a little cleaner. Yeah. And some of those young receivers, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how they're never on the same page and there's some issues. I think signs of life from this uh, Green Bay passing attack the last couple of weeks. Yeah, signs of life. <clears throat> Let's remember last week came against the Chargers defense. I understand. I understand. Um, I'm trying the week to, before. Trying to bring some optimism here. I know. The week before. But realism. You know, let's oh, not lie to the people. That's true. The week before was better. Like, Jordan Love actually played probably the best game he's played in the NFL against the Steelers, and they have a better defense. So that one, I think, is fair. 
Last week, it was the Chargers defense that is becoming a joke, and they lost Joey Bosa during the game. It was an awful, awful defense. So, you know, I don't know that you can take that much from last week and say, well, look, that's now two games in a row, stack one on top of the other, and we're building something here. It's really one game in a row, and then a game that if they hadn't cleared that hurdle, it would have been, you know, catastrophic. So, you know, yes, Jordan Love's played a couple of good games on the bounce, only one of which I think really has any meaning. Uh, this week is a much stiffer test against the Lions defense that's good. You know, the first uh, the first matchup was in Green Bay, and the pack uh, sorry the Lions won thirty four to twenty, pretty handily, right? I mean, it was it was the Thursday night football game, and by the way, this is the Lions' third Thursday game of the year. Mm. They used to never get <coughs> primetime Thursday night games because they had Thanksgiving. This right. is the only Thursday game that they would get, and this is their third Thursday game of the year. Now the NFL doesn't care how many times you play on Thursday. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, you get these you get these extra you get these short weeks, but you get the extra break coming out of it too. But uh, people want to see the Lions because they're exciting. And uh, Jared Goff, it, you know, that's one thing I'll be keeping an eye on here. We know Jared Goff has these. Um, home road splits where he's you know a completely different quarterback but last week was at home and he had his worst game of the season by yeah. far he's yeah he's the opposite of Jordan Love he's coming off like the worst game we've seen from him in a long time so how does he bounce back yeah and I meant to mention it on the um review show but you know we had to go quick we only had two yeah. and a half hours um what what I saw from Goff in that game was him just not seeing the field right like when you try to explain why did a quarterback have a bad game it's tough to explain other than he just he just made three or four bad reads. Right. Made several bad decisions. Right. Like, end. he just he did these things that he never does. Yeah. Right? Let me throw into double coverage on the goal line. Let me just, when he worked back to the middle of the field, found TJ Edwards instead of, you know, a lion. So, I, I don't know that those are going to continue, you know. I think it's, you know, Goff had played really clean, thrown the ball accurately down the field, and just made some really bad decisions in that game. Ended up with three interceptions, had three turnover-worthy plays. They weren't all the same plays but then in crunch time when you needed to come back the Lions running attack Goff throwing the ball down the field that all got them back in here so um, to me the Lions are just too good right now across the board with their running attack their pass game pass defense run defense I mean they do it all extremely well offensive line I think should have their way against Green Bay we've talked about Green Bay's run defense kind of being hit or miss a couple weeks ago it was a disaster against the Steelers. Like, you know, most of the, most of the time, it's been okay. But I think the Lions can handle all that, right? If they take away the run, I think they can throw it. Um, so there's a reason why the Lions are favored by a touchdown plus. Yeah, no, there is. I, I think they're they're a significantly better team. It's it's a challenge for Green Bay on both sides of the ball. The offense needs to show that they can keep what momentum they've created rolling against a better team, and then the defense needs to not just be annihilated by you know a Lions offense that's good. Uh, so that's like up front they need to stand up against a really good offensive line in Detroit and then on the back end they need to hold up against the the Lions weaponry so yeah they're a touchdown favorite and you can see why Um, injury wise the Packers are completely banged up all of their pass catchers and running backs Um, Aaron Jones MCL sprain so I mean he's being called week to week but he's doubtful he's certainly not playing he's probably not playing um, A.J. Dillon, other running back, questionable. Emmanuel Wilson with a shoulder injury, the other running back, questionable. That's all of their running backs. That's all their running backs. Luke Musgrave, the rookie tight end, with an abdomen injury that had him in the hospital in Green Bay. So he's questionable. That doesn't sound great. 
tight end Jos- uh, Josiah DeGuara, Dontavian Wicks, the receiver, Jaden Reed, the receiver, was added to the practice report on Tuesday, yesterday, with a chest injury. So um, what's left Not much. Green Bay pass catchers? You know, like I, I was saying, be optimistic about how this group has started to play, and all the guys to be optimistic about are hurting. So it's not great. Is there any other Patrick Taylors, the remaining running back here for Green Bay? It's going to be a million targets to Christian Watson. So, yeah, they're shorthanded. Um, the matchup to highlight, I think, maybe as we did the first time around, Rashawn Gary when he's rushing against uh, Panay Sewell, one of the better matchups you'll see in the NFL. So uh, we're going to go in this one. A banged-up Packers team going up against the juggernaut that is the Lions. Uh, I think I'm going to lean towards Detroit. Uh, I know it's already a touchdown, more than a touchdown, seven and a half, but I think they can cover that. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think the, the I mean, the Lions won by 14 in Green Bay the first time around. I think they're the same same team plus how injured Green Bay is right now. So it doesn't always work that way in football. Sometimes, you know, you, you guys step up, but I think Detroit's just going to be too good in the end here. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll get to the rest of the Thanksgiving games. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was, was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. All right, man, the 4, 4.30 stop? Yeah. 4.30, it's always the Cowboys this year hosting the Washington Commanders. And the Commanders, 11-point underdogs going into Dallas here. Now, they used to always spread this out. A couple things here. Used to spread it out. They used to always have an AFC team in one of these games. They don't do that. They're not doing that. It's, it's all NFC on Thanksgiving here. I also love, this was always the John Madden game. He'd be calling it for Fox. He'd always be doing the Cowboys game and diving fist first into a turducken. He'd be, yeah, cutting up turduckens right there hands. on air. They are doing, a, they're like dedicating Thanksgiving to John Madden, like the, all the games and everything, you know? So I'm, I appreciate that. That's good. John Madden deserves the Thanksgiving honor. More 90s yeah. nostalgia. Yeah, more, I mean, we, we love 90s nostalgia. <laughs> Other 90s nostalgia that I, I tweeted out uh, last week. When we talk about how bad the officiating is, Thanksgiving 1998 is when, was it Phil Luckett was the referee that screwed up the coin toss in overtime with the Steelers and Lions, and it cost the Steelers a game. So it was the 12:30 Lions game. Steelers and Lions go to overtime. Jerome Bettis calls heads or whatever, and he says, he called tails, and it's heads, <laughs> whatever it was. He reversed whatever Jerome Bettis said. The Lions got the ball, went down, scored, won the game. All because the referee screwed up, screwed up the coin toss. Mm. So if you think officiating is bad right now, they were messing up the coin toss back in 98. Yeah, I mean, it's still bad right now. It is. Yeah. Both can be true. Yes. All right, Commanders, Cowboys, what are you looking for here? So somehow, 
We always start with Sam Howell. Yeah. Well, he's had three bad games, right? The first was against Buffalo, where he had that four interception, four turnover the play nightmare. Buffalo is a good defense. And then the other two have been against the Giants. We don't have a tremendously good defense, but wreck shop against Sam Howell, apparently. Uh, they do have Dexter Lawrence, uh, which is a you know, pretty sizable part of having a good defense. Um, anyway, the point being, you know, if you're looking for sort of trends for Sam Howell, generally speaking, the season has been quite good. It's been flawed. Uh, the turnovers and turnover-worthy plays have come in bunches. Uh, and, of course, the sack element to the season as well. But, like, the bad has been a good defense in Buffalo and then the Giants twice where Dexter Lawrence is wrecked shop and, and other bad things have happened in terms of turnovers and turnover-worthy plays. Now you go up against Dallas for the first time, who still have the best pass rush in the NFL. So this dynamic of Washington's offensive line isn't good. It's probably not terrible. It's below average, let's say. And then Sam Howell does not have a tremendous relationship with pressure, generally, between taking sacks that he shouldn't, between inviting pressure that he shouldn't, all these things. It has the recipe for this to be a bad Sam Howell game, which means Washington don't do well. Yeah. I mean, it, this goes back to the Cowboys being so good in the games that they're supposed to dominate. It's another one. It's another one where they're double-digit favorites. Mm. Um, as we mentioned the other day, they were 10.5-point favorites against Carolina. Kind of felt a little bit low, for uh, even though it was on the road. And Dallas, here's why Dallas wins these games handily, because they're good in all three phases, right? They keep getting defensive touchdowns. Deron Bland has four pick sixes this year. And this isn't new for the Cowboys. I mean, they're, uh, Dan Quinn's defense is bucking the trend of, hey, turnovers are kind of cyclical and they're kind of lucky and, you know, they'll, they, they'll regress to the mean. Every single year over the last three years, Dan Quinn has had uh, – one of the best defenses as far as turning the ball over, this year being no different. So they're stealing defensive touchdowns. They have the pass rush that you're talking about with Micah Parsons and friends, and they're not just lining Micah Parsons up in one spot. They're moving them all around, so that opens up opportunities for everybody. So it's the number. They're tied for the second-best pass rush grade in the NFL uh, with the Browns right behind the 49ers. And offensively, Dak Prescott's playing the best football of his career. Like this little stretch here, He's had other stretches where he's been really good, but pretty much since that Niners game, he's been very good, you know, since his horrible game. So he's our highest-graded quarterback right now, um, which, by the way, that's been uh, in flux throughout the season. There's a, there's a cluster of quarterbacks near the top of PFF grades where any given week, like last week it was Jared Goff, he had a bad game, he dropped to like fifth. Right. But that's how close it is at the top. It could be, it could be Dak, it could be Lamar Jackson, it could be Goff. Like, there's a lot of different uh, Tua's up there. There's a lot of different QBs up near the top of our rankings. So Dallas does it all. And uh, the only – they're at this point where we're still going to say, hey, how are you going to do against the better teams? But Dallas is only going to lose if they beat themselves. And that is, like, last week of the season, last year against Washington, Sam Howell's first start, Dallas beat themselves. Right? Dak was throwing the ball to the defense. And um, that's pretty much Washington's only, only hope here, I think. Yeah, I mean – you know, to be fair, you could look at the game against or the the, the Washington versus Philadelphia matchup and yeah. say, "Hey, this is one that looked like it was it had the recipe for a bad Sam Howell game and a bad Washington performance because of that, and that didn't happen." Uh, but I do think Dallas is a different category. Like we generally think of the Eagles as having a really strong defensive front, and they they can go you know six seven guys deep and they can get pressure everywhere. 
they are sort of below <clears throat> league average in terms of pressure rate this year, which is not, it's a new development for that Eagles defense. Dallas is still by far the best team in the NFL in pressure rate, like off in their own world in terms of a, you know, a data point. The next two teams, Cleveland and the Jets, arguably the two best defenses in the NFL, and then there's a big gap to anybody else, right? So Dallas is in its own world in terms of bringing pressure consistently. And they're going up against this offensive line that wherever they rank, it is below average at a minimum. So Yeah, not as bad as the sack totals would show, but they've, they've not been great from a pass-blocking standpoint, particularly right. over these last few weeks. So it's very difficult to imagine a scenario where Sam Howell is not under fairly consistent pressure throughout the course of this game, which is not to say that he can't do anything, but his grade under pressure this season is bad. He converts a, a high percentage of that pressure into sacks, you know, if you get pressure on him basically a quarter of the time, 25%, you're going to sack him, which is its own massive negative play in the offense. And those tend to produce his turnover-worthy plays. Like his pressure plays, which is less than 40% of his dropbacks, account for more than half of his turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, so I think that's what makes that's what makes this game difficult if you're trying to say, can, the, can Washington keep it within 11? I mean, they're 4-7. and seven. It's not a great football team. They've really struggled on the defensive side of the ball. Dallas should have the advantage there. But in any given week, Sam Howell could have four or five big-time throws. Right. And he did it. He played extremely well. They took the Eagles to overtime, lost 34-31, and lost 38-31 in their two games against the Eagles, which, like you said, looked horrible on paper. And it was just like, no, Sam Howell's going to ball out in this game. And he's going to get rid of the ball quickly, right? So there are times when the matchup looks unfavorable for the commanders where they'll say, hey, let's get the ball out quickly. Let's really make sure that we respect this pass rush. So that's kind of the path to uh, covering the 11. I think Dallas absolutely wins. Question is, is it by 11 or more, Sam? I think it probably is. Um, it's actually how splits are fascinating for the pressure stuff. Like un, when he's kept clean, he has a turnover-worthy play rate under 2%, which is exactly the same as Justin Herbert this season and CJ Stroud, actually. Uh, it's good. It's better than Dak Prescott's. But when you pressure him, his turnover-worthy play rate Craziness. jumps to the moon. <laughs> it, it goes up to 6-point-something percent, which, to be fair, is not the worst in the NFL, but it's bad. <laughs> and actually, his big-time throw rate stays really high and, in fact, goes up when you pressure him. So he's still capable of making crazy plays under pressure. It's just that the crazy expands its meaning and it is equally in fact more prone to making terrible catastrophic plays under pressure do you have his average depth of target on there uh under pressure a lot of times under pressure you do have to throw the ball further down the field because you get you know zero blitzes and you have to chuck it but yeah. i feel like he's going to be at like 14 or something no it's only 10 okay it's not Reasonable. it's not even amongst the in fact it's like bang in the middle it's the same average depth of target under pressure as brock purdy and mac jones all right we'll so all right 11 points so you're going to say you're going to take dallas here yep all right um I think I'm going to take Dallas. What would you well. set the over/under on how turnover the plays in this game? Over/under on three. Yeah, it's Dallas. That's what I was thinking. Um, I'm just painting. The reason why I, when I'm bad at picking games is when you paint a picture in your head. Like I'm going to paint this picture of Howell's going to have the Eagles game against Dallas. Mm. He's going to get rid of the ball quickly. It's going to be good Howell, and they'll keep it close. It'll be a nice, exciting game. And the, you know, the only reasoning behind that is like that's the picture I've painted in my head that's going to happen. Okay. But I think the data is saying this is right. Dallas is data saying he's going to be under pressure a lot and have yeah. at least four catastrophic and, mistakes. And Dallas covers those big spreads. Yeah. All right. And then uh, Thursday night, 
to, to top it off. I'm calling it the Good Friday game. Just doorbuster. Doorbuster, Good Friday, uh, Black Friday. I keep saying Good Friday. Yeah. Black Friday game. Doorbuster, Black Friday game. That's wrong in several ways. It's, there's a lot of stuff wrong here. Yeah. 49ers at the Seahawks. The 12s are going to be um, – well, are they going to be – is it too much tryptophan? Are they going to be, like, sleeping by then? Or are they going to be excited, the 12s? What yeah, do you do when you're preparing for a Thursday night game? Well, it's also – it's West Coast, right? So it's only – it's the same. It's just like being the 4, the four p.m.s. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm just the, – the turkey. The turkey makes you sleepy. Yeah. When they eat turkey during the day. Anyway, Niners by seven here in Seattle. Mm. Battle for the top of the NFC West. Big line for, uh, for that, you know, in division against another good team who are basically keeping pace at the top of the division, or at least, you know. It's an interesting day. I mean, I, I feel like we've, we've both picked the favorites in the first two. And then I don't know where I'll go with this one, but it's three of the best teams in the NFL as heavy favorites. I think there could be a you know upset potential in at least one of these three games on on Thanksgiving here. Yeah. Um, so we had an email actually sent in from Nathaniel Pardolo. What do we do now? Uh, he was updating the rock paper scissors in the NFC West standing since we screwed that up last week. You actually didn't. You weren't on the show. We no, I wasn't. Up. Brad yeah. did. To be fair, I just didn't correct him. Uh, so he said this is since 2017, which was when McVeigh and Shanahan showed up. So it felt like a logical starting point. So Seahawks versus the Niners are eight and five. So Seahawks they, against the Niners? Yeah, I believe that's what this is saying. The Niners versus the Seahawks are five and eight. Yeah. So yeah, Seattle wins this rock paper scissors matchup most of the time. Interesting. Huh? Not in the playoffs last year though. No, I mean. There's five losses. There's, there's losses. Not all the This time. is the closest one. This is the closest one to a toss-up. This isn't uh, McVeigh always loses to Shanahan and and what's the other one? Uh, McVeigh always beats Carroll. Right? The Cardinals against the Rams are two and twelve in that period. Which remember, a lot of the time they were good. Like they had a nine-win they season. They had, you know, yeah. uh, the Niners are ten and four versus the Rams. So Shanahan always beats McVeigh. Yeah, yeah, that one. I know. <clears throat> and the Rams Except are, in that one NFC championship. The Rams are 10-5 and five against the Seahawks. So McVay always beats Pete Carroll. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating one. Um, I think the story here, though, you have a Seahawks team that has snuck some victories out over the last few weeks. The advanced metrics are probably not as kind to Seattle as they are some of the other good teams in the league. They're sitting here at 6-4. and four. Um got smoked by the Ravens a couple weeks ago again you know you kind of sneak some wins out or you know only you know win 20 to 10 against Arizona win by four against the Browns win by three against the Commanders and now Seattle's got the Niners Cowboys Niners Eagles over these next four weeks they're going to be they're seven point underdogs at home against the 49ers they're going to be unless something drastically changes they're going to be touchdown plus underdogs over the next four weeks Mm. against all those teams at dallas on a thursday night at san francisco again and then home against the eagles so we're talking about a six and four team that could easily be six and eight in a few weeks unless they they steal one of these so it's kind of it's a big test for seattle and then from a san francisco standpoint they're coming they they had their mid-season lull with the three-game losing streak but they're fully loaded again on the offensive side of the ball defense as we mentioned the pass rush is fierce um they look great again over these last two weeks two dominant weeks for the Niners last week against Tampa Bay and then two weeks ago against the Jacks yeah Geno Smith banged up coming out of that game where he got wrecked by Aaron Donald um 
supposed to play, I think. It's not going to keep him out of the game. I mean, obviously, that would be a, a huge thing either way. The difference between Gino and Drew Locke is probably fairly significant uh, in a game like this. So if they get Gino back, I mean, even in the game against the Rams, it didn't necessarily look that way. But Gino had a bunch of big-time throws, didn't make that many you know, glaring mistakes. Like, he wasn't the reason that their offense was uh, not firing in all cylinders and, and only ended up with 16 points. Um, I think, you know, Gino gives them a chance in this game, but the 49ers, when they're firing with all their playmakers, just look like that combination we were talking about of, it's all of it together. That credit pie, the offensive skill position players are playing out of their minds. Shanahan is doing his magic, and Brock Purdy is now making three, four big-time throws a game. If all of those things happen in one game, I forget the Seahawks. I don't know if anybody stops them. Yeah, I mean, on, on one hand, I'm, I'm excited about Seattle getting Jackson Smith and Jigba involved over these last couple of weeks because, you know, with him and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, nice trio, Noah Fant at tight end, adding a little different element. They have those pieces. I don't think this offensive line can hold up against the Niners. And that's most offensive lines, I think, is fair. Um, but we saw last week, Eric Armstead was the guy last week that had a monster game for the Niners. They have Chase Young in there now. We know they have Nick Bosa. They're rotating. They're seven or eight deep. Seattle's got our friend Jason Peters over at right tackle. Mm -hmm. Our friend only because he's older than us, of course, 41 years old, uh, almost 42 in January, playing right tackle right now. Um, Charles Cross, the second-year left tackle, last year was pretty solid, except when he had to go up against Nick Bosa, yeah. right? Um, you know, th there's, there's always those matchups that are, uh, are challenging, and I think the Niners' defensive line is going to be too much especially with, a, with an injured Geno who's been really solid this season. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, good luck, good luck stopping this Niners offense because they're, uh, they're firing again with Debo Samuel back, Trent Williams back in the lineup. Uh, Matchup-wise, watching rookie Devin Witherspoon. I mean, both corners, Reek Woolen and Devin Witherspoon, going up against these, these Niners receivers. It's a little unfair sometimes because you're putting – yeah, you know, you're giving some advantages to IU, you know, put him in motion, and he's right. running these these difficult-to-cover in-cuts. But they're fun matchups for Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that pass rush of the 49ers has has a chance to be the obvious difference maker here. The 49ers are, one, are I think, the next team after that trio that we talked about, Dallas, Cleveland, uh, the Jets, as the three best pass rushes in the NFL. Well, the 49ers are, like, the top of the pack that's chasing them. Um, Bosa... Like Chase Young has made a difference coming over. Um, they have a spot for that sort of speed rusher on the other side, opposite Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave in the middle. Like that's a nasty front four that Seattle's offensive line doesn't match you up well with. All right, man, seven points for San Francisco. Is this our third straight time picking the favorite here? Uh, I will. No, I'm going to pick Seattle to cover seven. You're going to take. I think Seattle. the 49ers will win, but I think Seattle will keep it tighter than that. Chris and Mike on the call here. On uh, Thursday night football, Tariko said he's excited to hear the 12s on Thursday night here, hmm. Thanksgiving night. Um, all right, let's do the Black Friday game. We'll do the Black Friday game, and then we'll get into the Discord game of the week. The first ever Black Friday game in NFL history, Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. It's going to be 3 p.m., so uh, set your reminders. Oh, weird time to put that game on. Well, you know, people are recovering from shopping in the morning. You can't put it at 1.00. And uh, three is the time. Huh? Three is the time. Gotcha. Three is the time. Okay. Now on on Black Friday, I'm a big fan. I take all my leftovers, and you just slap them on a on like a cookie tray, right? 
cookie sheet. Yeah. Got all the turkey and the stuffing and everything. And that's I'm, I'm just gonna fire that up at about 250, and then uh, get ready and, like, for the game. Bake it. Yeah, just heat it up. Yeah, all the mashed potatoes, all the turkey stuffing. You stick like a dinner on a cookie sheet. Throw it in the oven. Throw it in the oven. Eat the sheet. Yeah. Warm up the gravy separate. Now I've got. Um, I'm going to the local barbecue place over here, Bucks. Yeah. They have a great cranberry barbecue sauce. Got this last year. We're buying four pounds of turkey for like six people. It's gonna be. I'm gonna have this for days. <laughs> so I'm gonna be crushing that during the uh, the Black Friday game here. Okay. Three o'clock. I'm just painting a picture of what's happening. I I want people. Beautiful I want picture. people to tell me what you're cooking tomorrow. Drop that in the uh, in the live chat. What's your meal? I saw I saw somebody in there. I'm not gonna say his name. <laughs> talking about the boneless leg of lamb that he was making. So drop what yeah. you're uh, what you're cooking in here tomorrow. Let me know. Mm-hmm. But um, the Dolphins and Jets. This certainly looked attractive when they set it up. Aaron right? Rodgers against Just the... Just imagine if this was Rodgers. Yeah. The Jets were in playoff contention slash Super Bowl contention. Instead. Instead, it's Tim Boyle. It's uh, the Dolphins as 10-point favorites at New York. Tim Boyle making the start here for the Jets. I brought it up when Trev was on the show that Tim Boyle has never had a single season with more touchdowns and interceptions in college or the NFL. And yet... And, and so obviously him starting an NFL football game now deep into his career is patently absurd. And yet when I watch Tim Boyle, me almost every single time, I get it. You know, like yeah. he does something every game that makes you go, oh, yeah, see, that's why you look past the, the numbers that are awful every time he plays. Like, I, I understand that, but somehow it never gets any better. It's just there's a flash every time we're like, yeah, I mean, he might be he might be pretty good. And then he, he isn't pretty good. Yeah, you know, he's been a training camp sensation, a mm. preseason sensation for the Packers yeah. in the past. Uh-huh. He's Aaron Rodgers' buddy. Yeah. Another one of those buddies. He's I mean, that's the real moneymaker. Bringing along here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, you haven't, if you're just tuning in, too, or just catching up, Zach Wilson officially benched as the Jets quarterback. It happened in the second half last week. So soon? Carried on. Trevor Simeon also elevated to number two. So Zach Wilson's going to be – the, uh, the third-string quarterback for the rest of the year, presumably here. Tim Boyle for his NFL career. Three touchdowns, nine interceptions. Which is what he did one whole year at UConn. Yeah. Like two and ten. Yeah. It didn't now, make any sense. If you give him credit for a totality of preseason career, then he has a positive touchdown-to-interception to ratio. Now, it's still only a pass rating of 85, even in the preseason. So, you know, there's there's a yeah. limit to how, how impressive this has been. But... Uh, you know, 6'4", 230, prototype, big arm, just not a great football player, apparently. Yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge for uh, the Jets' offense. Yeah, I mean, um, it's the same story, different person under center, right? Yeah. Like, the only difference in this game with the transition to Tim Boyle is that you probably get at least a week of the defense being able to talk themselves into the idea <laughs> that this guy might be able to this not throw the, the game away. You know what I mean? Now, it might only last one week. Right, this game might uh, like dissuade them of that notion, but for one week at least, or the until uh, we get into the fourth quarter, the defense for the Jets might be able to go. You know what? At least our quarterback this time will not throw the game away for us. The the only other hope you're looking for here is like when Mike White came in a few times after Zach Wilson, the offense looked completely different. I will say, I think the situation has been bad for Zach Wilson. I also think he is. He is just not the quarterback to ever overcome the offensive line issues because he holds the ball so long. And when Mike White came in, 
he was just boom, 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 making quick decisions, getting rid of the ball. I also don't know that Tim Boyle is that guy. Right. But if they just like, look, Tim, get rid of the ball. Pass rush is too tough for Miami. O-line's got their issues. Just get rid of the ball quickly. Make quick decisions. Get rid of it. Like There might be signs of life here. But that's what I wanted to get to. Like this Miami pass rush, Bradley Chubb and Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips. I mean, as bad as this Jets offensive line has been, it's going to be a challenge just uh, giving them more than two and a half seconds here. It's hard to know what experience is when you're a sort of lifelong backup like Tim Boyle. Like Andy Dalton clearly is a better bet to win games right now for the Carolina Panthers than Bryce Young. He operates a bad situation significantly better than Bryce Young because he's been in the NFL for a decade. You know, he's seen things, he's done things, he just understands better how to combat what is a crappy spot to be in. I don't know if the same thing is true for Tim Boyle, because sure, he's been in the NFL for a long time, but it's not like he's been getting reps most of those time, right? He's been sitting on the bench, or he's been just a backup in practice, not actually seeing the field much. When he has been on the field, both in preseason and the regular season, he has tended to get rid of the ball quickly, which is, as you're saying, like, that's the good part of this. So... I don't know how much the experience actually matters, but I do think that there is, this is why sticking with Zach Wilson for so long, I think was a mistake. Like getting any kind of experience back up in there would probably have done a better job because they just understand how to combat a bad situation better because they've seen it. Right. Zach Wilson, you know, this is still kind of his first go around in the NFL and coming from this offense in BYU that was a perfect situation where he didn't have any negatives to deal with now he's got you know a bad offensive line and just a bad situation to combat and he just he doesn't know how it's not in his makeup yet now maybe it never will be but clearly he's not the guy who's capable of doing that at the moment there are there's some veteran that has seen this and done this and knows how to deal with that better i don't know if boyle is that guy because you know his entire nfl career in the regular season is 123 dropbacks old so He's sure he's been in the NFL since like 2018, but not doing anything meaningful. <laughs> yeah, the we know that the the interesting matchup though, of course, is the other side of the ball. Miami's offense against the Jets' defense. Mm. The Jets' defense has been so good this year as far as just combating really good quarterbacks. We've covered that a bunch, and you know Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and uh, Jalen Hurts and all these guys just don't have good games against the Jets. Now the interesting dynamic here is Tua. Did not play the Jets last week, last year. You know, he got injured against the Bengals in week five, or week four, and then in week five they played the Jets. He was unavailable there. Then they played the Jets in week 18. Tua was not, did not play in that game. In uh, previous matchups with the Jets, you know, he had one really good game, one not so good game in 2021. That was a completely different Tua Tungavailoa. Right. He has not played the Jets' defense, since they've been good. Different Jets' defense. Right, this is, what, well. this is what I'm saying. In 2021, the Jets' defense was horrendous. Right. Horrible. Right? They had the game where they gave up 250 on the ground, 250 through the air. Right. They had that game. The Jets' defense since the beginning of 2022 has been outstanding. So Tua has never faced this defense. Mike McDaniel with Tua has never faced this defense. So it's the first time we get to see this. Um, and we've seen teams kind of slow down Miami a little bit more over these last couple of weeks. The Jets are outstanding in the middle of the defense in particular. Um, they, the Jets linebackers have the best coverage grade in the NFL when targeted. That's often the areas where you, where you see Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill with a ton of space in the middle of the field, scheming it up there. So this is going to be fun, man. Not just the individual matchups. When, when you see like Sauce Gardner, uh, you're going up against Tyree Kill and going up against Jalen Waddell. But the middle of the field where Quincy Williams 
is has been one of the best linebackers in the NFL this year for the Jets, that matchup is going to be outstanding. So the 10 points, I feel like that's more banking on Tim Boyle putting up three points, seven points for the Jets. Yeah, but this could be like a 20-7 to 7 type of win for Miami um, because I, I think they're going to have – I think it's going to be a challenge against this Jets defense. It will be, yeah. I mean, the, the Jets defense is legit. Now, the other element here is for the first game this season, the Jets defense kind of got embarrassed last week. Like, they are coming off a game for the, where for the first time they did not turn the opposing quarterback into Zach Wilson. The opposing quarterback actually carved them up and they had a bad game. And that, you know, we – joked that it was the defense finally getting rolled that caused Robert Sala to finally snap on Zach Wilson, who had basically been the same all the way through. Uh, like, how does the Jets' defense handle for the first time this season getting whacked? Like, do they actually bounce back and restate the, the point that they are arguably the best defense in the NFL, certainly one of the top three, or have they kind of given up at this point? Like, right. have they tapped out now? understanding the futility of their task this season, which is if we're not the 85 Bears, we don't win games. Well, I'm going to love watching that side of the ball. So 10 points, Miami, favored by 10 here in New York, New Jersey. Third straight game, fourth straight game with uh, at least a touchdown favorite here. Where are you going? Uh, The Jets. I have enough faith in that defense that 10 points is a lot. Oh, man. I don't like the matchup for the Jets' offense at all. No. I just I, – I also think Tim Boyle could just be better than Zach Wilson. Entirely yeah, give me the Jets. Possible. Give me the Jets. It's my first underdog that I'll take to cover here. Um, I want you to dig out the Discord game of the week if you can. I've already digged it out. It's there in yellow, the way it always is. That was just me transitioning week. here. Just let oh, yeah? me transition. Well, you should probably transition with a thing that doesn't exist already. Well, there's so much to be thankful for, Sam. Mm. Family, friends, food, and NFL football all week long. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. No matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. So we've been going through all these games. You can play over at DraftKings. The three Thanksgiving games, the one Black Friday game, go check it out right now. Go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFF. That's how you get in. New customers can bet five on the NFL, any of the Thanksgiving action, to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, using the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Eligibility and de- de- deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com/slash-football-terms.com/slash-football-terms. Got that? Yeah, close enough. A mighty roar from the booth that Steve made it through. Mm. All right, Discord game of the week, man. What do we got? We have got the Cleveland Browns at the Denver Broncos. Oh, this is a good one. Denver's favored by two and a half. There was a few close games this week in the yeah. uh, the Discord picks. This was the closest at time of uh, throwing the information into the document. 
Cleveland Browns at the Denver Broncos. It's 4-5 start on Sunday. Denver by two and a half here. Denver trending in the right direction. They've been hot. Mm. Browns are sitting here at 7-3, and three, coming off a big win against the Steelers. What are you looking for in this one besides defense? Yeah, intriguing how much uh, people are buying back into Denver, I guess. Now, look, obviously Cleveland don't really have a quarterback. I mean, DTR versus Joe Flacco, you know, whatever they're going with a quarterback at this point in the season, is it's not good. Um, but their defense remains nasty. And sure, Denver have been moving in the right direction. Their defense has been pretty good. It's weird. So they're a classic example of how problematic it can be sometimes just relying on like overall season numbers. Because overall season numbers, I think they still show as having basically the worst defense in the NFL. But it's like all built off the first month where they gave up 70 and they were genuinely the worst defense in the NFL. And in fact, one of the worst defenses in NFL history since that point, they've been like top 10. Yeah, what do you do with that? But but top 10 hasn't been enough to claw back how badly they were wrecked for the first month of the season. So what? it's like if you're using overall season numbers for Denver, it's clearly not telling you an accurate picture of what they are now. Um, One more stat there. They have the third worst point differential in the AFC. Right. So they're hot. They're trending in the right direction. They're 5-5. Five and five, But only the Patriots and Jets have a worst point differential. Yeah. So you have to sort of draw a line and say – you know, we cut out the first month of the season, but obviously doing that reduces your sample size and creates its own problems. So my point being, Denver are now a difficult team to sort of correctly identify exactly where they are because of the tale of two, two seasons over the course of this year. But I was still surprised that going up against this Cleveland defense, you know, they're, they're favored by two and a half, even at home. Yeah, because, yeah, people are leaning into what we've seen recently, and that's a, a four-game winning streak for the Broncos. Beat the Packers, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Vikings. Mm. And when you look at that in totality, right, I mean, beating the Chiefs 24-9, to that was the first one that they had hung tough with the Chiefs two weeks prior, but they, right. that was the one that, like, really stood out. Okay, this team's competitive. Then they came back on Monday Night Football, that crazy game against the Bills, and there was, there was some craziness, right? They, they needed a 12 men on the field and the whole deal. Yeah. Um, and then similar on Sunday night against the Vikings, they've been winning some of these, you know, yeah, that's the thing that's balls bouncing in crazy ways type of games. That's the thing that's interesting to me. It's like we're, we're now sort of buying into this idea of Denver's on a hot streak, they're rolling. It's like, yeah, but like one play loses each of the last two games for them. You know, it's <laughs> is, are they really that good? Yes. The numbers say they're better, and not just the numbers, but the tape. And they're clearly better than they were earlier in the season. Um, but the win streak, you know, we, it almost feels like we're just buying in too much now based off the last couple of weeks, which, you know, were they the better team in either of the last two games? Maybe. It's close. I mean, I, I will say there is something to complementary football. Um, a lot of times we – we discuss only the passing attack and pass defense, and, and we don't talk about complementary football maybe enough. And there are examples in history when you do run the ball and you just kind of you grind it out and you shorten the game a little bit, and it can it can help your defense. Like that, we know that that is true. The defense is certainly playing far better, but that's really been what Denver's been doing over these last couple of weeks is uh, continuing to to grind it out on the ground. Russell Wilson has not been he's just he's been an interesting quarterback here they're not putting a ton on his plate this isn't you know he's only dropping back 30 times we need to let Russ cook and make it 45 he's dropping back 30 35 times a game 
Um, we mentioned on Sunday he's hitting his checkdowns where needed, but now we're sprinkling in some of those special plays. You know, those those special throws to Cortland Sutton with the game on the line, or you know, in the red zone, or whatever it might be. That's what we've seen these last couple of weeks. So I think Denver's found this this balance of shortening the game a little bit, grinding it out, keeping it close. It's helped the defense a little bit as the defense has progressed and played a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Denver's a great team either way, but it's certainly far more encouraging than it was earlier in the year where they looked historically bad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the, the one element that's not up for debate is they're a completely different team than they were during the four, first four weeks of the season. I think everything is better. Um, you know, Cortland Sutton has been the go-to guy over the last few weeks. He's made some spectacular plays for them. Uh, I still don't know if he's, you know, a top-tier, like, amazing wide receiver, but he's fulfilling the roles of those, which is you give him a chance, and he's making some elite plays for them right now. On the flip side, sort of Jerry Judy has come on the other side of that, where he's been given some opportunities and hasn't made some plays for them, and I, all Broncos fans seem to hate Jerry Judy, but, like, collectively, this receiving core is making enough plays for Russ and, and the pass game to, to function and to win those games, and then their defense is playing much better. Getting a guy like Baron Browning back, I think, has been important. Uh, he hasn't... Remember, he threatened to be, like, the defensive version of Travis Fulgham, where he had, like, a month where he was unstoppable yeah. and then dropped off the face of the earth, albeit in part through injuries. But him coming back has given them, like, a rotation of guys up front that can all cause problems. This is going to be, like, a 12-9 game or something, right? Yeah, probably. That's what we're talking about here. Because I think... I do think Denver... They didn't run the ball as much last week, but they had over 40 carries against the Broncos and Bills. I'm sorry, the Chiefs and the Bills in those back-to-back -back weeks. I think that's where Denver wants to go against Cleveland. Cleveland's pass rush, just incredible this year. Miles Garrett is playing well enough that people are talking about him in the MVP discussion. And without getting into the MVP discussion, I don't think it's crazy to at least have that conversation right now where there's no clear favorite. Um, Miles Garrett's playing that well. And, you know, you, he's, the, he's the catalyst for this defensive turnaround they got him some help this year and he's playing even better than he's than he's ever played miles garrett on pace for an all-time pass rush grade record for edge defenders by a mile um and he's got the sacks too for right. steelers fans and some of the like the impact plays you know the forced fumbles the yep. almost safety last week but he's had some of those signature plays which maybe shouldn't matter but does when it comes to defensive player of the yeah. year type conversation. So I, I think Cleveland's going to have a tough time moving the ball. Denver's going to have a tough time moving the ball. And then it comes down to, like, does Russ have a couple of those magical plays in him, right? I mean, Cleveland, as great as Cleveland's defense has been, they've, Cleveland's defense has kind of been like the opposite of the Steelers' offense, where 95% of plays are really good for Cleveland's defense. 95% of plays are really bad for the Steelers' offense, but they have that 5% where they have a 70-plus yarder. Like right. Cleveland's given up some big plays here and there, and I think that's what Denver needs. You know, Can they have one of those 50-yarders, one of those special Russ to Cortland Sutton connections, whatever it might be? But I think we're looking – what's the over-under in this thing? Is it Iowa-ish? <laughs> Iowa-ish. Iowa-Nebraska has a game this week where the over-under is like 26, Sam. I mean, we should, we should sit down. We should live – Watch no, that. No, we shouldn't. Yeah, we should watch some bad football together. Stop it. We should do it. Um, so Denver by two and a half. Over under is 36 and a half. 36 and a half. That's what, yeah, I like it. Where are you going in this one? Uh, Cleveland. I, I Again, surprised that, that Denver were a two and a half point favorite even at home against a defense this good. I understand. DTR. No. We didn't talk about DTR here. I understand that. 
they set up with a game plan last week that was like, you know, one of those ones where let's try and take the quarterback out of the game effectively, you know, minimize the opportunity for the quarterback to lose it for us. And it didn't go well. But to his credit, DTR made a couple of big plays on the final drive that was the difference between winning and losing. So this weird game where, like, over the course of 60 minutes, DTR was contributing more to losing than winning. But then in the final drive was one of the reasons they won the game. So it's tough. I still don't know, like, like how quickly does Joe Flacco get in there? I don't know. I don't know. I think I don't know if DTR, if, if you give him a couple more starts, if he ends up being the best option here. He could be. He, yeah, he will be. DTR? No, Flacco. You think will Flacco be a will be. better option? Yes. And you're not a Flacco fan. No. I mean, we've, we've Flacco. Is he still part of the Open? Where you yell at him? You're Joe Flacco. I think we, did we, we cut get that rid out of that. I don't know. Who knows? Because he's been retired. Mm. Now he's back. Yeah, I don't know. Might take a little time. Um, I'll take Cleveland here. Yeah, to cover. Same. Trust in their defense here. Um. All right, let's go to the 1 o'clock games on Sunday. Oh, boy. A lot of them. New England Patriots at the New York Giants. 2-8 and eight versus 3-7. Patriots are favored by 3 in New York. Mm-hmm. Tommy DeVito getting the start, and aren't we all excited to see Tommy yes. in his second NFL start? Oh, Tommy against Belichick. DeVito versus Belichick. DeVito against question mark for New England. Mike we Jones. don't know. It's going to be Mike Jones. You, really? Yeah. There was, there, was, there was interviews. They were interviewing Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator. Who's going to be the quarterback? He said, I'm going to get everybody ready. They're not announcing. There was a, there was a tactical advantage here for New England, <laughs> they, hiding the fact that we don't know yeah. if it's going to be Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, or Will Greer no. under center for the first snap for the Patriots. They're reaching this point where they keep going like, dude, we've got to make a change at quarterback. And then they get back and they sort of run it through the options. And like, <laughs> he's still clearly the best option we have. Mac, like, it is. We need to sit this guy down. He's playing like ass right now. It's terrible. It's a joke. He's not the guy. We need to move in a different direction. They're like, yeah, but you understand the options alternatively are Bailey Zappi and Will Greer. And they're like, ah, God damn it. We got to put him back out there. Patriots are coming off a bye. So they had time if they were going to install a new starter or whatever. Do you think there was a sit-down, which is illegal, by the way, a sit-down with, uh, with Robert Kraft and saying, yeah, you know, we, could, we, could, we could have one of the top two picks next year. We know that you, know, you get fined for this stuff, and that's illegal, and this had to happen off the record, of course. But do you think New England sitting here with seven games remaining in the season is having that conversation where it's like, well, we're not salvaging anything this year. Let's, <laughs> let's get Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever. I just don't know that what they do at quarterback makes a difference at this point. Mac Jones is playing terribly. They've got a pretty good chance of losing games with him as the starter. I'm interested in Will Greer. Yeah. I mean, I'm more now's the time. I'm more interested in Will Greer than Bailey Zappi. Greer's had at least a couple of those preseason games with Dallas. I would like where one, he looked different. <laughs> I would like better. one good Will Greer game just so Giants fans stop resurfacing that Daniel Jones Will Greer. Oh, please. this is it. This is the Will Greer. If I this could is, get that today that, or this weekend, that would be great. This is for you. Here's a question. The revenge though. game. You called Will Greer better than Daniel Jones. That you could stick it to Giants fans, right? Right. Here. This would be the same as them asking for an apology after like one preseason throw. Uh, Tommy DeVito, undrafted rookie quarterback, coming off a, gr- a great game by him. Uh, rookie quarterbacks generally going up against Bill Belichick are disastrous. Yeah. Undrafted rookie quarterbacks going up against Bill Belichick, I haven't checked this, but they're probably worse. Uh, they don't get too many starts, generally, right? So now 
we we mentioned previously how how funny the memes are for Tommy DeVito. Is there was there a discussion sometime during the week? You know, I say several people in in nice suits had a word with Bill and said, "Hey, Tommy's going to win this game." You know, <laughs> I don't I care mean, how you do it, but Tommy's going to win this game. Don't make yeah. me come back here. I'm just saying, like I did that happen? I posted a picture of me with my head in the oven <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I'm just saying the same people that came to see me mm. could go see Bill. And then right. Bill could say, we have mutual interest here. All right? Tommy gets his win. Well, no, I think they I would make the that I get the number point. one overall pick. Like, we're, yeah. we, we have mutual interest I here. I think they would make that point, right? Like, yeah. hey, Tommy is going to win this game. This is good for you, too. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Number one, your draft position improves. Number yeah, two, guys speak logically. Right. Number two, I don't have to come back here and stick your head in the oven. Yeah. Yeah, Make I'd the like, smart choice. <laughs> if, I, if I have to come back, I'm going to throw you in the trunk, mm. is what we're going to say. Right. I'm throw you in the trunk. Uh, I like how you almost tried to break into the accent, too. You tried to, you tried to break it out thought a little about bit. It. Thought about yeah, it. Yeah, you then. were like, then thought better you were halfway there. Yeah. yeah. You landed in a good spot, mm-hmm. not going too far. Um, I don't have much else about this game. It's the worst game of the week. It's, it's, for, the, it's for number one, number two overall pick positioning. With the, with the uh, Panthers slash yeah. Bears and the uh, Cardinals in the mix here. This is another game where Dexter Lawrence should dominate. Yeah. You know, in this world, of, even if you're like the haters of Dexter Lawrence that exist, where they're like, ah, he only beats up on bad interior guys. Well, okay, this is a game where that's on the table. Yeah. I will say, I mean, what we said about um, DeVito, I mean, look, they got to Brian Dayball, too. They said, look, Brian. You call the good place for Tommy. <laughs> you call the good place. Yeah. We get Saquon in space. You call the wheel route, right? You call the you call the yoink play. They got they got Dayball calling the good place. They ran the yoink. You call it the yoink. Mm. The uh, leak play. Leak to Darius Slayton. That's the real name Yoink's for it. Better. You like you like the tight end yoink. Mm. They called the good place for Tommy. And this is our real analysis here. Um, the Giants' offensive coaching staff did call a really good game. Last week, right? This offense that had no life all season, no matter who was under center. They schemed some stuff up, and um, DeVito, when he wasn't getting sacked nine times, mm. was making some good throws. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge against, uh, against Belichick in New England. And um, I'm still of the mind that the Patriots aren't as bad as this 2-8. and eight. I'm not saying they're good, but they're not this team that's been you know, losing games by 30. Yeah. Like, Belichick still has teeth in his head from a defensive, you know, schematic standpoint. And that, I mean... Tommy DeVito was sacked nine times in a game that didn't feature a defense coached by Bill Belichick. It, it does feel like they're not going to have a ton of success. All right, give me the uh, – well, the Patriots are favored by three here, though, too. Yeah, give me, uh, give me the Giants. Oh, you're buying into Tommy? No, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, of course I am. You got to take, take the Giants. I'm taking the Giants. You know better than not. Home dogs. That. I'm taking yeah. the Giants. I'll take not, the Patriots. Not messing with this. Mm. What, would it, what would Uncle Anthony do in this situation? <laughs> Or what didn't he do? <laughs> what didn't he do? Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cincinnati Bengals. Steelers coming to town. Any Steelers fans coming into town? You want to hang out? <laughs> Come see the building. Steelers favored by one here in Cincinnati because uh, we've got a lot of uh, – It's gonna, this game's going to look different. Than no we, Matt Canada. Than we thought seven days ago. Mm. Um, of course, Joe Burrow's out for the season. Jake Browning taken over, and Matt Canada has been fired. And so – we got a new offensive play caller in Pittsburgh. I know you guys covered that yesterday on the show. Yeah, new offensive play caller, uh, and now a chance to see what Kenny Pickett actually does 
without, you know, is he also a problem? Is he one of the reasons they're not targeting the middle of the field or pushing the ball down the field? Or is Kenny Pickett, like, trapped in the system just waiting to break out in a normal offense? Well, we get an idea. I don't know if you actually learn anything here. I don't yeah. know if you really – I mean, it's still – it's the same – System. It's the same plays that they've installed. It's not like they're putting it in with with the Raiders, and it changed fundamentally overnight. Did it though? I mean, it's the same. Yes, of course it did. They immediately started like calling the good plays. Like, let's actually give some good runs. Let's involve the running back and find out where he'd like to run instead of just calling the plays that have him running into the teeth of a defense like it changed I the Raiders curious. offense changed immediately when they got rid of McDaniels and Shane even if it's the same system and the same you know the the plays they're calling are different I am curious to see if they do lean on Jalen Warren a little bit more as a running back uh, in the run game Warren as we mentioned uh, went through all the stats on Monday basically averaging over eight yards per carry since week seven most elusive running back by a mile second in league in rushing yards since week seven yeah. despite being in the 30s and in, in attempts do they lean on the run game a little bit more and a lot of times what you have when you do have an offensive coordinator change in a bump they just say hey i know what'll make me look good Mm -hmm. throw to the good players yeah and so do we see a heavy george pickens game uh you know where you know do they do they attack the middle of the field yeah the idea that last week despite being the only functional thing on offense on either side of the ball jalen warren was still out snapped by um, Najee Harris is ridiculous. Like, that is something that could easily and should change in a game where the offense coordinator is different, is you just go, well, like, clearly this guy is our best player right now. Let's keep him on the field. Let's keep him making plays. But the other thing is, like, it's not like Matt Canada has an offense that doesn't have routes that target the middle of the field, right? But for whatever reason, he doesn't call those plays or didn't call those plays. And if you look at forget the targets – Look at, like, where the routes are run for the Steelers' offense. It's not over the middle. There's giant, like, cold spots in a heat map over the area that everybody else is running rampant in right now. The, the first change somebody should make who's coming in with this same system, it's like, here's the offense I've inherited, how do I change it, is all these plays that for some reason have been put over here and thrown in the trash, bring them back. That's what we're doing this week. How much of this is Kenny Pickett, though, too? Well, that's er- what we're, I'm saying. Yeah, we'll like, learn. Early in the year, Pickett was just missing everything outside the numbers. But it feels like they they lean heavily on low percentage throws, right? Yeah. That's why the stats are bad. Which is why it's harder. And then he had to... he had a couple weeks stretch where he's hitting those throws, right? And he's back to not being so good these last couple weeks. So remember, is, they had it's just low percentage offense, and so the, yeah, the Steelers need to dial up ten right. to fifteen high percentage passing plays that aren't just bubble screens. Remember, they had a couple of weeks where Pickens made all these plays. In, over the middle of the field. And it's like, hey, if you run an in-breaker with Pickens instead of an out-breaker, suddenly the defense doesn't know what to do because yeah. you haven't shown that. You don't have to throw 97 straight back shoulders to George right. Pickens. Like the, Kenny Pickett hasn't necessarily been elevating anything, but he doesn't control where the routes are run, right? Like That's an offensive scheme thing. Forget about targeting. If you're just looking at targets, you could make the case that it's either one of them. For some reason, Pickett's not targeting the middle of the field versus, for some reason, Matt Canada's not calling those plays. In terms of route run, like where the actual plays are designed to go, that's the thing that Pickett doesn't control. So that's the part that should change. If he still doesn't target the middle of the field then, now we can have a conversation. But like now, I think you should expect this offense 
to look different in terms of the areas of the field it's targeting. And then we will get to see if Kenny Pickett and this group of skill position players that looks good on paper can actually elevate their play. Um, Cincinnati on the other side, you got Jake Browning, who, um, look, he had a, so he had a Brock Purdy-like college career. Look, <laughs> nothing good has ever come from when that's the start of a player well, description. Watching Jake Browning last week made me it made me think of Joe Burrow earlier in the year when he had the calf injury, hmm. and it's like all right, there's not a whole lot of passes successfully being completed down the field. Did you see uh, Ryan Leaf and Mina had a little bit of a set oh, yeah. two over yeah. Jake Browning? Yeah, Ryan wasn't happy that Mina had her description started a lot like yours. You know, look, <laughs> I'm just. I'm just trying to... And Ryan was like, you can't trash people like that. And she was like, look, Ryan, it's perfectly reasonable to suggest that some players are simply not NFL caliber starters. You know, that's yeah, that's what we're doing here. That's it. Um, the, the comparison I was going to make, Browning had a similar start. Remember, Brock Purdy's best season in college was his freshman year. Yeah. Jake Browning had a freshman year where I think his true freshman year was the same year as Josh Rosen, kind of graded similar to Josh Rosen. Um Never really had great NFL tools, Browning, but he threw the ball pretty well. Mm -hmm. Never really progressed at Washington either. Right. And the problem with Browning is there's just there's just times where the arm strength limitations show up, and they showed up in college. So that's why I think this Bengals offense kind of looks like the limited Burrow offense when he had the calf injury, which can which was bad. Look, earlier in the year that was a oh, bad awful. offense, right? Yeah. But there is a world where. You get the ball to Jamar Chase, you get the ball in space, and you're just distributing the ball to a good group of receivers, and I think they can move it, right? I, I know it was bad when Burrow was doing this and they didn't have any sort of downfield passing attack, but it's also like arm strength doesn't mean you can't hit a 40-yard right. pass. Like, those aren't those off are the there. table with yes. him as the quarterback. So like, I'm just saying I think there's the world where Browning can just sit back, make good decisions. The problem is under pressure – I think the physical limitations show up more yeah. for Browning. I mean, look, my expectations for a Browning-led Bengals offense are not high. However, one area where it is different than the normal scenario of QB1 goes down, QB2 is not good on paper, our season is boned. Um, because of the Burrow calf injury, Browning effectively had the entire offseason as QB1. Like, he ran the first-team offense for the entirety of training camp. Burrow was like, what, practice three or something, he went down. Yeah. It was immediate. A lot so, of reps. Right. So Browning had the entirety of the first team reps for the entirety of preseason. And then Burrow came back, and it was week one where he finally got back in the game. Like, that doesn't usually happen for a guy like Jake Browning. Like, the guy usually gets thrown into the game when the QB goes down, having had no reps, having had only running with the second team offense in training camp, you know, no ability to kind of foster any kind of chemistry or any kind of connection with these guys he actually had that which is an unusual dynamic here maybe that works for his favor like his preseason wasn't disastrous his preseason a year ago wasn't disastrous and he actually had a full offseason effectively with the first team this year that alone I think is is an intriguing thing to watch simply for does that matter at all yeah. like, was that a thing that actually changes how he can play this week or is that just fluff? And ultimately, Jake Browning being Jake Browning is going to be the single biggest determining factor here. The one other thing I think that's going to be a challenge to figure out here is this Bengals defense. We have complimented them a ton this year when the totality of their body of work is mediocre at best. 
Cincinnati, they had a three-week stretch. Cardinals, yeah. Seahawks, good offense. Right. 49ers, good offense, where they allowed negative EPA per play. Good defense. They looked the, like they'd bounce back, and then... But in the last three weeks have not been good right. against the Bills, who just fired their OC. Mm-hmm. Bills, Texans, and then, of course, the Ravens. So those are three good offenses. Yes. Right? So where are where is this Bengals defense? We thought that they were back and feeling it and... You know, Lou Anarumo doing a great job, but I don't know, man. It's a uh, it's been kind of hit or miss this year. Yeah, it has. They they look like they turned a corner and started playing like the Bengals of last year. And then you're right against three good offenses, they 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 hit the skids again. So it is a fair question. Like, what exactly is this defense right now? Because it hasn't been outside of a couple of weeks where it was last season. And the Bengals defense under Lou Anarumo that we've become accustomed to expecting. Um, but they have shown the ability to do that in single games, even right. against good teams. Um, even if the if this was Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett going up against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the Steelers like they they play the Bengals tough, man. They could play them tough, so it would have been close. But where are you going with this one? Steelers are favored by one coming into town here. Yeah, I think you kind of have to lean for some sort of bounce, not not even bounce back, just improvement without Matt Canada. I mean. The universality with the which, OC bump, new OC bump. Yeah, but like the the absolute agreement that Matt Canada was the problem. I mean, it's, it, it was so universal that it got to the Steelers, who haven't fired a guy midseason since the '40s, right? Like that's how obvious this was that he was the problem. So if that's true, if everybody in the world is correct and Matt Canada was the problem, then the problem went away. So we're better now. Yeah, I'll take Pittsburgh. I'll take the Steelers to cover the one here. Plus, they're just the team, like, you, they just had a dud against Cleveland last week. All right, yeah, we're going to start writing off the Steelers. Nope, they're going to they're gonna be 7-4 and four at the end of this one. Mm. I got the Steelers covering the one. Same. All right, I got to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. We have a Prize Picks lineup that it features – is it a freebie? Do we call it a freebie? I mean, this is a special here. We've got Christian McCaffrey going more – then a half rushing plus receiving yards. And receiving. Yeah. Yes. So add up rushing and receiving yards. We have Christian McCaffrey going more than 0.5. Okay, so that's a special. Uh, Jamison Williams of the Detroit Lions, so if you're watching the Turkey Day game, 22.5 receiving yards. We have him going more. And then uh, we got a kicker play. Young Hugh Koo. How do you say his first name? Young Way. Young Way. Koo. I mean, special team, Sam. How am I supposed to get No, obviously, you don't even know who that is. More than one and a half field goals made for Atlanta. He's a Falcon, Sam. I'm aware of that. He played, he, he is the, uh, the author of the, um, what did I call that onside kick? The, was it the sidewinder or the, no, what did you call it? Oh, it was good. Whatever it was. Anyway, that's our lineup. McCaffrey, Jameson Williams, and Koo. More than half no, rushing, receiving like yard. The- Oh, damn it! What did, it was uh, like the paralyzer, the the um, hypnotizer. Yes, hypnotizer. That was it. He had the hypnotizer onside kick. Ku's going to go more uh, more than one and a half field goal made. Jameson Williams, twenty two and a half receiving yards. We're going more as well. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can go LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at 10.5 combo of three-pointers made in receptions. You can play play alongside some of PrizePick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find those community plays under the Promos tab of the app and view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizePick's community each week. 
PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, let's go to New Orleans Saints at the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are favored by one and a half here. The wide open NFC South. The Saints are in first place at five and five. Falcons and Bucks both tied at four and six. Uh, Falcons. Uh, the Saints are the only team in the division with a positive point differential at plus sixteen. Falcons are minus twenty eight. All four teams in the NFC South have losing streaks as well or they've mm-hmm. at least lost their last game falcons have lost three straight saints lost their last one picking the saints there's always a couple teams every year sam that are just annoying to pick <laughs> and predict and the saints are, are in the top three as far as most annoying to predict mm-hmm. what they're going to do yeah like uh, last week being um you know relatively straightforward from picks probably had something to do with the fact that the saints weren't playing yeah didn't, didn't have to deal didn't have, didn't have to, to deal with it. the saints mm. You know, I was, I was calling for their breakout, and they never happened. And then, then I said, I'm done with them, and they broke out. And then I said, all right, I'm back on board with the Saints, and they laid an egg. Who's the quarterback? Is Carr out of – because he was still dealing with the concussion stuff as of like a day ago. He's still in the concussion protocol. Are we still getting A week and James? a half in. Yeah. We get the shoulder. Now, the, this is – ESPN says Derek Carr, shoulder, remains in concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. So is his shoulder in concussion protocol or his head? I believe his head is in. But I think his shoulder also got banged up. No, it did. But I feel, I think, I mean, the concussion protocol is the relevant part here. Like that, I think is, like if you haven't cleared concussion protocol 10 days or whatever this is after the the hit. Yeah, that's not great. Well, I mean, it doesn't suggest you're playing this week is my biggest point, which means we're getting the Jameis coaster. Getting Jameis. Um, We also have multi-week injuries from Michael Thomas at receiver and Marshawn Lattimore at the corner. Michael Thomas officially placed on injured reserve Tuesday, so he'll miss at least four games. And then Marshawn Lattimore has the dreaded high ankle sprain, which we all know is a turn in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to, uh, quote, take some time. Going to take some time, end quote, from Dennis Allen. Oh, so I think they're him. looking at multiple weeks here for Lattimore, which is common for the, the high ankle, ankle sprain, plus Carr. So there are some, some injuries here for the Saints. Mm-hmm. And then Desmond Ritter's making his return for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, the uh, the revolving door now of Ritter versus Heineke. Well, it's inter- this is an interesting one because I'm going to give Arthur Smith some credit here for a minute. Yeah? Like early in the season, Patriots media was asking, does Mac Jones need a mental break? Because it kind of looked like he just kind of needed a break. And it's uh-huh. like, well, no, there's games every week. You have to play. <laughs> so you can't just give the guy a mental break. you got to throw him out there. It kind of feels like the Falcons were giving Ritter a bit of a – a reset here in the middle of the season and, and they threw Heineke out there see if it sparks things it doesn't there's not a huge difference in ability right now between Heineke and Ritter but there's always the hope that Ritter's younger and he's only x amount of starts into his career so he could be better it feels like they gave him a little mental reset here and when you know they were asking Arthur Smith a few weeks ago why are they doing it? there's reasons there's reasons why we're doing this I wonder if that's one of the reasons and if they're just you know trying to hammer the turnovers and the ball security out of Ritter because that's really been the biggest issue. Fumbles, 
red zone turnovers, those are the ones that are, you know, meme-worthy for Arthur Smith, you know, looking up into the sky. And if you cut those out, Ritter's been decent, but those have been a pretty significant part of his game this year. Yeah. Uh, I tend to think they they just sort of thought that he was playing his way to the bench and Heineke might be better and let's give that a shot. No, it wasn't. Let's go back to the guy that was there in the first place. I don't know if it was as calculated as we can create this mental reset point for Desmond Ritter and try all over again. I, I think they just decided let's give the other guy a shot and then it didn't work. And they have to go back to where they started because clearly there's no upside to a sort of long-term Taylor Heineke team, but there might be upside to a long-term Desmond Ritter one, so that's your best bet going forward. Uh, either way, it's the same story, right? You have two very similar quarterbacks who are capable but limited and make too many mistakes, and that's the one thing that this offense can't do because it's not designed to be you know, a high-octane, explosive, shootout type of team. It is a slow, methodical, grinded-out type of offense, which – like it's tailor made for a game managing quarterback, and apparently they don't have either. Like I, neither one of them is a game manager. Um, the Atlanta defense had been pretty impressive early in the season, but now we're we're three weeks in. They they gave up the four passing touchdowns to Will Levis in his debut. They gave up a game winning drive to Josh Dobbs, who just you know has the playbook and on a napkin and just learning it. Um, and then they lost to Kyler Murray in his return on a fourth quarter comeback as well. So they've had some heartbreakers over these last few weeks. They're coming off the bye. Um, I still think Atlanta has a chance. They, they have some pieces defensively to, to hang tough. And, you know, as far as New Orleans goes, yeah, it's not just the Saints and predicting what they're going to do. It's the Saints with potentially Jameis Winston under center. So, yeah, good luck pre predicting this game. Hmm. It looked like the offense, it looked like they had broken out for two straight weeks between the Colts and Bears games, but then uh, two weeks ago, also coming off a bye here, the Saints uh, lost to the Vikings in heartbreaking fashion as well against Josh Dobbs. Tried to make that little comeback, and Jameis kept throwing the ball to the defense. Yeah. No. So, that's the game. Falcons by one. Where are you going in this one? Uh, going with... Hmm. Where am I going with this? I don't like this one at all. No. Let's go with the Falcons. Yeah, I'll take New Orleans just to mix it up here. Just to mix it no, up. No, I, I mean, I don't like New Orleans injuries. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Don't have enough information here. Um, they've been outstanding at corner on the outside, but I think Atlanta might be able to run the ball a little bit. But give me New Orleans. There is a very real chance that Jameis Winston gives them a better chance of winning at the moment than Derek Carr does. Yeah. In any given game, that's possible. Yes. There's equally, with Jameis, that is almost an the, equal chance that he just goes full Jameis and tosses the ball to the defense three times. The funny thing about Carr versus Jameis is I think the the end game is pretty similar. Like, the end of the day, the production is ends up pretty similar. Yeah. But I think when Jameis goes off the rails, he gets too aggressive. When Carr goes off the rails, he gets too conservative. Right, like when off the rails, as in why, you were down three scores and you didn't take any shots down the field. Why is that? Um, it's just interesting <laughs> watching both of those guys. All right, one of the games of the week: Jacksonville Jaguars at the Houston Texans. A battle now in the AFC South. The Jags are favored by one and a half in Houston. Of course, Houston won the first matchup back in Week Three. It was the Texans? It's the catalyst for their turnaround this season. Remember, Houston started the season zero and two. 
They go to Jacksonville, win 37 to 17. And, you know, since that point, they're six and two. So Texans, three game winning streak, six and two in their last eight, and one of the hottest teams in the NFL. CJ Stroud playing unbelievable football right now, especially for a rookie. I do think now I'm starting to see him in the MVP conversation. I get it, and I and I think it's valid. Um, still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of games to be played. But, um, yeah, Houston looking really good right now, man. No, they are. I mean, everything for them is working well at the moment. Uh, the offense looks great. The defense is playing well. Like, that's one of the underreported parts of this. Everyone's focusing on C.J. Stroud. Uh, by proxy, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, PFF Bobby, like all the things that are happening on offense, but the defense is playing really well as well. Like D'Amico Ryans it probably doesn't get enough credit for what's happening in Houston at the moment um, because all the focus is on the offense, but that defense has taken big steps forward as well. So everything's coming up Houston. Yeah, we mentioned on the Monday show too, Derek Stingley coming back. He had a, he had a rough rep on that deep ball to um, Rondell Moore, but other than that, Look pretty good since coming back from injury, having having Stingley on the outside, having uh, Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson rushing the passer. So yeah, I, I like I like the way Houston's defense is coming together. Linebacker Blake Cashman having a career year, been one of the more just breakout player, whatever you want to call him, surprising players of the season for Houston. Um, here's the other one: Jags defense, right? Been excellent all season. They've had two at least two horrendous games. I think it's just two. Both against Kyle Shanahan's 49ers, mm -hmm. Bobby Slowick's Houston Texans. The two worst games of the season for this Jags defense as far as EPA per play, points, I mean, wh whichever measure you want to use. Um, the offense, the Houston offense scored 30. They had a fumble, I mean, a fullback kickoff return for the other seven. Yes. Houston's offense scored 30 against the Jags. The Niners offense scored 34 against the Jags. The two games that the Jags defense looked the worst were against the uh, Shanahan and his uh, protege, Bobby Slowick. So how much of that is going to be a factor here, scheme-wise, in that matchup? There was another weird play in that game, right? There was the, the fullback kickoff return. Didn't they have a block kick or something in there as well? Like That was one of those games where Trevor Lawrence was getting hosed by everybody around him. Yeah, because it was consecutive. Like Kansas City put the ball, put the ball in the end zone four times, and none of them were touchdowns. And then the next week, was the next this week game. was yeah. this kickoff return. There was something else in there. I think it was a blocked kick. Uh, so there was there was a bunch of weird plays in there that that had Trevor Lawrence getting hosed because Lawrence, I think, in that game, yeah, he had an eighty three grade despite only having one touchdown. Um, he had one bad pick in there. Everything else was was decent, right? If I remember. But I mean, your point is is a good one which is that like that was one of those impeccable cj stroud houston offense games like 9.3 yards per attempt by him a passer rating of 118.8 uh they carved up this jacksonville defense tank dell getting behind the defense there was yes. blown coverages by the jags i mean so i i wonder if this ends up being one of those matchup games um early last season trevor lawrence struggled against the texans as well they bounced back and won and pretty handily in week 17 but I wonder if this ends up becoming one of those matchup deals, those you know inside the division, and Houston just ends up with the Jags number. There's not enough evidence here to right. to say that. I'm just theorizing that maybe the <laughs> okay. Shanahan offense is a good is a good matchup for Houston against Jacksonville. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable theory on the basis that it's a good matchup against most defenses. So, yeah, like, if, if their two worst games have come against those that specific type of offense twice, it's at least a good starting point to work on a theory, you know? And I have no, like, the way Stroud is playing right now, A, fantastically, B, not letting mistakes affect him. Like, that's the most impressive thing at the moment is, like, the first few weeks, the mistakes hadn't actually... He, was, he wasn't being punished for the mistakes. So at that point, it's easy to be like, well, of course the mistakes aren't affecting anything because they're still resulting in good plays or it's not actually damaging the offense in any way. His mistakes over the last couple of weeks have damaged the offense. They've really hurt them, and yet it hasn't knocked him off a stride at all. Like he had that line about, you know, Steph Curry keeps shooting even when he misses. Like that does genuinely appear to be his attitude of who cares? Everyone's going to miss. The Jordan thing, right? Like, I've missed more chances, missed more shots than anybody in, in league history. That's not the point. Like, you, you keep taking the shot because you make them, and that's what wins the game. Like, he genuinely seems to have that attitude, and right now that's standing in his stead. Every mistake he makes, it's like it didn't happen. He just bounces to the next play and comes back and redresses it. And as I, as I said the other day, it does. It, it's not just him sitting in in clean pockets and hitting throws. I think that's what he was doing mostly early in the year. That was no, like, all right, it, when he gets a clean pocket, it's impressive. He's accurate. He throws the ball head high, and he's going to second reads. He's doing impressive quarterback things. But now he's like legit feeling it. I mean, under pressure, like, he's doing it. He's looking like C.J. Stroud versus Georgia, like that. Yeah. Remember the whole the whole narrative on C.J. Stroud as a prospect effectively boiled down to. Are you getting the guy that showed up in the game against Georgia in the college football playoffs, or are you getting the other guy that never really showed that for the rest of his college career? And I think it was a fair question to ask because the rest of the evidence was so much larger, but that was the biggest game on the biggest stage and showed everything you want to see. Right now we are seeing the Georgia C.J. Stroud all the time. Like that's the guy he is in the NFL at the moment, albeit – potentially aided by PFF, Bobby, and, you know, other elements around him. But he's playing like that. So the Jags are another team that are, um, because of the Texans game in week three or the Niners game a couple weeks ago, seem tough to predict, right? When are the Jags going to just lay an egg as they've done a couple times this year or other times where they look like one of the better teams in the NFL? They're favored by one and a half against Houston. I think um, Trevor Lawrence last week, he had another very good game. Uh, it did feel like it was uh, high. He was making some challenging throws, almost unnecessarily challenging throws and hitting all of them. And I just I, I, need, I need the Jags to scheme it up a little bit better there instead of putting so much on his plate. I don't know if they got it. Um, Want to see Derek Stingley against Calvin Ridley. Want to see Houston's new run game against Jacksonville's run defense, which has been really good. Remember, Houston's run the ball much better these last few weeks. A lot to watch here, man. Um, I think I'm buying Houston, though. One and a half point underdogs. Where are you going in this one? Uh, hmm, yeah, I, uh, I'll buy into the same thing. I, I am becoming a believer. Becoming a believer. Mm-hmm. They're 2-0 uh, and oh since breakfast with Bobby. That's true. 2-0. That's true. We'll keep that stat. I can't wait until he, until he lets me give him the rugby plays. He was open to it. Yeah. Now, other people... You're at, they're adding pieces to the offense. Other people at the breakfast were poo-pooing the idea of the rugby plays, but Bobby was all for it. Well, that's all that matters. He wanted to listen. He's got an open mind. He does. Bobby. He's got an open mind. All right, let's go. Uh, 
where are we going here? The other, uh, one of the other AFC South teams, Indianapolis Colts hosting the Tampa Bay Bucks. Colts favored by two and a half here. Um, oh, by the way, just to wrap up the Jags-Texans game, it is absolutely first place on the line here. Jags are seven and three. Texans are six and four. Mm-hmm. If the Texans win, obviously they'll have the the sweep, the tiebreaker, but they'll be sitting atop the AFC South over the Jags. Now, Tampa Bay Bucks at the Indianapolis Colts. Colts favored by two and a half here. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Bucks sitting at four and six in the wide open NFC South. The Colts five and five in the AFC South still have a chance to make a little bit of a run here. Colts are another interesting team with Gardner Minshew under center. Um, what are you looking for in this one? This was another game that jumped out as a weird line to me. Um, like Indianapolis being favored by two and a half against a team that isn't bad. I mean, okay, they, they just lost uh, the Buccaneers, that is, to San Francisco, and it wasn't that close. But, like, they they fought in that game. That wasn't, you know, a blowout against what what – when the 49ers are on their game, they look as good as any team in the NFL, and Tampa Bay at least gave them a game. So I was kind of surprised to see the Colts favored uh, against them. I think that's a – I don't know. I think the Bucks are a better team than that. Yeah, I think I think there's elements of the Bucks' strengths that can attack the Colts' weaknesses here as well. The I've highlighted the Colts' outside cornerbacks and, and kind of the, the team-building decisions there. They went with very inexperienced corners – uh, low round draft picks and undrafted free agents out, out at cornerback. Their outside corners have the fifth highest EPA allowed. And you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, Baker Mayfield throwing the ball outside the numbers pretty well to, the, to, to those guys. So I think Evans and Godwin have a chance to have a lot of success here against the Colts. Um, the, the throws that Baker made last week against the Niners, though, he kept throwing the ball in the middle of the field, hitting linebackers and safety that is where the strength of Indy's defense has been and so that'll be interesting too if I think I think the Bucks can attack outside yeah the way that it with their strengths with their two receivers and you know they, they've been getting Trey Palmer in the mix and everything you know if he can come down with some of those big plays so I think Tampa Bay has a chance for success here I think Baker Mayfield will have a better picture consistently in this game than he did against the 49ers where everything seemed to be incredibly tight coverage where he was under pressure a lot against the defensive line the Colts have a good defensive line as well but it's not as good as San Francisco's neither is their their coverage like they're they're just not good as good across the board on defense so theoretically Baker Mayfield should have a better um, picture to work from at all times and this is a weird season for him because previously in his career he's either been good or bad nothing in the middle right (laughs) This is the first year where he's actually just plowing the course right down the middle where he's been, yeah, he's been fine. He's been okay. Yeah, there's no strong takes either way right. with Baker Mayfield. He's just been okay this yeah. year. Neither, not good, not bad, right in the had, middle. Had a couple rough games against good teams. Yeah. Had some good games against not as good teams. Right. I mean, it's just all to ex- expectation, I yeah. guess. But, but to expectation, but with expectation being like, I don't know where he is anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, either been, yeah. I mean, it's, I didn't, it's just average yeah it really is he's, he's just plowing that average line right now um let's that's just a that's an unusual element of his career now one other thing to highlight the Colts offensive line as we had predicted at the beginning of the year if as long as they stay healthy they'll be pretty good they've yeah. been pretty good they've had some health issues Dude, or whatever but they're starters Ryman. what's that Bernard Ryman like yeah let's give that guy some credit um He's their best graded offensive lineman. He's their best graded pass blocker. 
he is a second-year, third-round pick who hasn't been playing football that long. Like, he's from Austria, right? Like, the, the, the almost homecoming, right, when they played in Germany and his family was over from Austria. Uh, like, this is a... This is a guy whose football career is not that old, but what exists of it has been an incredibly steep and quick ascent from playing to playing incredibly well, both at college and now the NFL level. Like, he looks good and has barely played the game. Hashtag model guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I liked him. Definitely. Loved the Ryman pick. Renner liked Ryman a lot as well. He did. Um, I honestly thought because he tested well and had that – uh, limited football experience. I really thought he was going to go in the first round. Yeah. Like it, it, during the draft process. A, after a while, I was like, all right, he'll probably go in the second. But he ends up in the third. When you're stealing a left tackle in the third round, right? That's a huge a win. Good one. Yes. Like I don't, I don't want to speak for Renner, but it feels like the way Renner described Bernard Ryman didn't necessarily mesh with where he ended up on his big board and rankings and stuff. Feels a little bit like me with Tank Dell, where I wonder if he sort of has. Ah, I should have pushed him higher yeah. based off what I thought of him, but just didn't quite do it. Like, Renner talked him up a lot, and then um, he looks fantastic. I just want to – yeah, that Colts offensive line pretty playing pretty well across the board, going up against this Bucks defensive front. It's been very good against the run. I think that'll be a fun battle to watch in this one. So, Colts by two and a half. I have a feeling where you're going. What is it? I already said it. Bucks. Taking the Bucks. I will also take the Bucks. Though it is a, I mean, it's two and a half point underdogs. Did you see poor Jim Irsay talking about how he's been the victim of prejudice? I did see that, yeah. and I, I knew you'd appreciate that. <laughs> Look, I mean, so he says because of his DUI arrest uh, back in 2014, uh, the the line is quote I'm prejudiced against because I'm a rich white billionaire. And look, if anyone, as as you know, if anyone is inside the head of billionaires it's me to you it's well known that billionaires cannot catch a break in today's life right particularly hereditary ones right it you just can't you, you lurch from one unfortunate mishap to another you empathize with this i i empathize deeply with it you just yeah. cannot get lucky in any way shape or form and this is just one more area in life where jim ursay has been screwed now hand me my mint julep <laughs> damn it we need that hot button <laughs> that's what we need to <laughs> Uh, so look, I'm just saying it would be nice to see the man get a win, get a rare W for Jim because he's just been getting screwed left, right, and center. We should send Jim some AG1, mm. our friends, that supply the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. We gave AG1 a try because, well, we need our nutrients. We need some health here on the PFF NFL podcast. I drink it every morning with my coffee. makes me feel great. Makes me put something good into my body, along with that caffeine, and uh, gives me the uh, my body the nutrition that it craves. So all great athletes have one thing in common: they take care of their bodies. And so do we. Huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, we're setting ourselves up for success here on the PFF NFL podcast. Using that's 75 high quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. You just mix one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you're done. Also costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients, a win-win 
for everybody. For comprehensive solutions, what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So you go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, man, we got the Carolina Panthers at the Tennessee Titans. Bryce Young against Will Levis. Titans are favored by three and a half. I have lost track of Tennessee's home road exploits. Oh, no. No, it's still valid. The poor Titans, man. <laughs> the poor Titans. You ready? Okay. They they have not been home. They have not played a game. They've played one game in Tennessee. They've played one game in Tennessee? They've played two games in, in Tennessee since September. Okay. Okay? So they played in Tennessee for Will Levis's debut against the Falcons on October 29th. And prior to that, they had to play in London uh. against the Ravens. And the previous home game was against the Bengals. So their last two home games, they beat the Bengals 27-3 to mm-hmm. when Joe Burrow was calf injured. Right. And they beat the Falcons 28-23. to Now they have a home game in one, two, three, four, five out of their next seven games. Like this is time. This is the run. For Tennessee to turn it around. Here's where it starts. Yeah. Are they going to make the playoffs? No, that's not enough. <laughs> what are they, three and six, three and seven? Where are we? Three and seven right now. It's yeah. not enough. Isn't it? Yeah. You'd have to, they'd have to sneak a road win in there. Against Miami or Houston? Yeah, that's rough. Have they, won, they really haven't won outside of Tennessee. Yeah. They're 3-0. Three, they're, they're oh. So that's what's crazy, right? <laughs> We're 10 games into the season. Yeah. Tennessee is 3-0 and oh in their home stadium. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy stat. And winless everywhere We're else. We're 10 games into the season. They're only 3-0 and in their home stadium. Three games in their home stadium. Undefeated. And completely different team. Doesn't matter if Tannehill's the quarterback. Doesn't matter if it's Will Levis. Undefeated in Nashville. Undefeated at home. Now they get to play in Nashville five out of the next seven weeks. I mean, look, it writes itself. Automatic yeah. W. I mean, that's why they're favored. I'll Three take, and a half points. I'll take Tennessee. Done. Yeah. I mean, obviously the quarterbacks are going to be the focus. Um, it's a rough comp. Like, right now... All these quarterbacks are outperforming Bryce Young. Now, and, and Levis is an interesting one because he's, he's one of the guys that actually has a rough situation around him. Levis's offensive line is atrocious. Now, he's got new Hopkins, but you're not looking at, like, C.J. Stroud is obviously outplaying all of them by a mile. But at least with C.J. Stroud, you can say this is a good situation. The offensive line is good, even if it didn't look amazing on paper. Bobby Slowick and the offense generally is good tank dell looks amazing right out of the box and we can debate how much of the credit pie each person deserves but clearly other things deserve slices of that pie whereas with bryce young and will levis it's like there's no credit going anywhere there's no pie there's no pie let alone slices of it going to to other people no pie like there's no credit they're not being helped by anybody except maybe new Hopkins. um and yet bryce young has the same number of big time throws as Will Levis on like three times the dropbacks. Yeah, five point three yards per attempt for Bryce Young. Yeah, that's versus... why I said the other day when he hit a three yard slant to convert a third and three. <laughs> I was like, all right, life baby steps, signs of life for the offense. Yeah, the baby steps have disappeared. Yeah, like five point three yards per attempt versus six point nine for Levis, and six point nine isn't good. It's just not five point three. Um, yeah, the last few weeks for. 
Bryce Young have been all under five. Yeah, same thing. Like, the same number of big-time throws on three times the dropbacks. Now, Levis has more turnover-worthy plays. So if you want one shred, crumb of comfort, it's that Bryce Young hasn't been catastrophic when it comes to turnover-worthy plays. But it basically doesn't matter because he's not making any positive plays. Yeah. I mean, every week I'm just looking for... Baby steps. Yeah. Signs of life. Signs of life. I Honestly, I don't even think you're looking for that at this point. Like, you're just... If you're a Panthers fan, you're honestly just hoping... Yeah, you're just hoping that it's not doing damage. I mean, week eight was when Bryce Young looked completely different. Had his best game by far. And that's the apex of the season is sitting here week eight against Houston. Where that should have been, all right, now we're moving in the right direction. Bryce Young just outplayed... I mean, he outplayed C.J. Stroud, MVP candidate, in that game. That's a fact. He outplayed C.J. Stroud in their head-to-head matchup. Which doesn't matter, really. But the fact that that happened way back in week eight, and you thought, hey, maybe there's something to build on here, and then he comes back the next week with two pick sixes, comes back on Thursday night football, completes one downfield pass against the Bears, comes back last week, has to face the Cowboys, never had a prayer because the offensive line had a 21 pass blocking grade. Mm. That's the challenge for the Panthers, is Bryce Young's own inconsistency, the inability to get anybody besides Adam Thielen going, and then... At times, you're just completely overmatched up front, and you just, so you just don't have enough to even evaluate anything here. So you don't. Like I say, I, the best you can hope for, I think, is that this isn't damaging for him. It's you're writing off this season entirely. Nothing that happens means anything, unless you're it's just, good. Unless it's good. Yeah. Unless it's randomly good, and it's like, all right, he's feeling it. Yeah, but you're just hoping, I think, that this isn't causing harm for his future prospects. You have to hope that this is just the bad season that some quarterbacks have in their first year, and then they'll get good, uh, and that he can get it to the other side of this. The um, other, th- the one other thing, I just want to highlight: we're not spending, uh, we we are spending too much time on this. You're right. Make a pick. Yeah. Well, so then the other element is: can Carolina muster enough pass rush to exploit the fact that? the Tennessee offensive line is cheeks. We have five more games plus two bonuses. So <laughs> Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's in Nashville. They'll cover the three and a half. Yeah, easily. It's that simple. Los Angeles Rams. We're into the four o'clock games again. So soon. Los Angeles Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. Rams favored by one here in Arizona. Uh, Cardinals, of course, have Kyler Murray back. So, But you know, this was the rock, paper, scissors where the Rams always win, right? Rams always seem to win. Yeah. Mm. Therefore, they cover. Um, Let's take the Rams. Let's go. Yeah, I don't have – I mean, it We is. can go quick through some of these last couple. Can we? Well, there's good games remaining, so let's go quick between Rams and okay, Cardinals. Okay, we should give something for Arizona versus the Rams, though, you know, rather than just the pick. Cooper Cup dealing with injury, so more time for Puka Nakua. Yeah, time. and do they just feed him immediately and go straight back to, like, heavy workload Puka Nakua where it was the first few weeks where he's, like, the, lead, the league-leading um, receiver? And then, obviously, Aaron Donald, that pass rush from the Rams going up against this Cardinals offensive line, which it's not a bad offensive line. It's just probably not good enough to hold up against that. It's another one of those games, too. Our Rams analysis is uh, overly simplistic at times when it's like, can they block this defensive front? If yes, they'll have a chance. If no, they're in trouble. They played back in week six. Arizona, um, the Rams, I'm sorry, had one of their better pass blocking grades of the season because they've been either good or bad from a pass blocking perspective they've had four games the rams now above 78 pass blocking grade which is very good for a game for Mm. a game right four games there they've had two games in the 20s and they've had three game four games at 55 or below 
So nothing, they don't, they have not had, sorry, there's one random middle pass blocking grade, but very few pass blocking grades in between 55 and 78, right? So they don't have a whole lot of like mediocre games in here. It's either really good or really bad for the most part. And it looks like, I, I think they should be able to block it, block it up against Arizona. Yeah. The Barbarian had four sacks in four games and one since. Uh, so he's not... He's got to come on strong here. He needs to find some sacks, although he's not getting to that double digits thing. He does, however, still lead the team in total pressures. Um, he has 23. Zaven Collins, the inside-to-outside linebacker convert, is next with 22. And then Victor Dumakeji with 22, who was quietly like a sneaky baller for them. I think he's a good player. You're a big Dumakeji fan. I like... He, You're every time I him. see a Cardinals game, he makes some plays. So I'm a fan of his. All right, man. Aaron Donald's on the other side. It's always fun watching him. Yeah. And because of that, they win. And, and Byron Young in his athleticism trying to contain Kyler Murray. He's like the perfect Donald compliment player. He is. And, and contain player for uh, you know, showing some athleticism on the edge for Kyler Murray. I'll take the Rams here. You taking the Rams? Yeah. I knew it. You got to go with the, with the trends. Rams to cover the one here in Arizona. All right, one of the big games, 425, Buffalo Bills at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are favored by three, as we've said a few times. Eagles in the middle of this crazy stretch of games. They've already beaten the Dallas Cowboys, already beaten the Kansas City Chiefs, now taking on the Bills, who um, they're, they're, they're only six and five, but we know they're still the Bills and very good team. Yeah, um, I, because they won the game, I don't know if it's getting as, as enough attention or as much attention as it should, but, like, the Eagles' offense had that thing again where it didn't look the way it's supposed to. Like, I was asked this on the radio or something yesterday. It's like, you can look at the Eagles' season so far in two different ways, similar to the Chiefs, actually. But, like, neither one of them have hit the level that they hit a year ago. And because they have mostly the same personnel, you assume they'll get there at some point and they'll figure it out and – we see that as like the potential. Like this is where they can get to because we saw it. Um, but now we've gone so far into the season without them hitting that level. You can either say, well, this is a great thing because they've won games of the number one seed. They already look like one of the best teams in the NFL. And in theory, there's this extra whatever it is, 20% to hit before they actually hit their potential. And that's where they can get to. They could be even better. Or you can say, if we haven't hit it yet, Maybe it's not coming back, and they're just not as good as they were a year ago, despite the record. So I kind of wonder, because you know they won the game, so we, we sort of dismiss it, and it's just, oh, this is winning ugly, this is championship, whatever. Maybe, but are the Eagles just not as good as they were a season ago? Some of the plays, so I know they ran a ton of screens against the Chiefs, who had a great pass rush, and, and they, they ran the same DeAndre Swift screen four times, like right. a little slip screen. And then it was just... Very odd play calling, right? They ran a wide receiver screen that gets blown up to one side and then come back the next play, throw into Julio Jones. <laughs> Run it again to the other side. On the other side. And that one also got blown up. Yeah. And then when they finally went deep, I, I don't even know how to describe this. Like if Jalen Hurts was a prospect, I feel like I'd be mad at him because he just took forever. Like they in the shotgun and they had a seven-step drop from the gun, which doesn't exist. Usually you go five steps from the gun, right. which is a seven-step drop. He goes seven actual step drop from the gun, which dropped him at probably, I didn't check, but like 11 or 12 <laughs> yards. Like everything's wrong there. And it looked just like slow. And like does Hertz looks lethargic sometimes when he drops back. And I'm not, but it ends up working a lot of the time too. And this, he hits the deep ball to Devontae Smith on that particular play, and yeah. it worked. 
But he's then there was other times when he drops back and it's like not a draw and he's just going to take off. Like I don't understand a bunch of the plays that the Eagles are running, but they're still really good. He's, he, he became favored for MVP after that game. Oh, I know. Like he moved into the top position for MVP in a game. Yeah, they're two games better than any other team. Right. In a game where he didn't throw a touchdown, albeit, you know, shoved his way in for that one after the the deep bomb. But averaged 6.8 yards per attempt, threw for 150 yards, had a passer rating of 65. Like this was not a game that would propel you into MVP. Yeah. Mahomes played a better game than him. Mahomes had a more disastrous red zone interception, but Mahomes played a better game because, of course, he put the ball on – Valdez Scantling to right. to win the game. It is worth pointing out. I mean, Jalen Hurts has clearly been dealing with injury, if not injuries, over the course of this entire season. I I would imagine Jalen Hurts has better play within him as well once he gets 100% healthy. But this is the the sort of dilemma with the Eagles is they're winning these games. They've only lost one. <laughs> the only quarterback to beat them is Zach Wilson. But um, but they're not where they were a year ago. And I I wonder how long that needs to go on before you stop imagining them getting back to that level yeah i mean i'm not trying to pick on the eagles here i think i I think they're a fantastic team and i'm i'm more of the minds that they have they have all the answers that that they need um it's just about pulling them out right i i I still think aj brown he's in the middle of an historic season just like tyreek will is uh tyreek hill is i'm not saying like hey everybody aj brown's great but he is but they can still win games when he doesn't do a whole lot Right, he's still getting attention, but then they can win with the screen game and with the run game, and so they have all these different ways to win. The defense has still been a little hit or miss. You know, the the end result were was good for the Eagles, but again, how much of that was drops by Kansas City or misses by Kansas City? There were plays to be had there. So yeah, I think the Eagles are still a very good team. You get them into the short yardage stuff, and you know they're they've got that cheat code. Hertz is still very good. I shouldn't be the MVP candidate, but or lead you know front runner but here we are so yeah the eagles are very good all-around team i'm not terribly concerned by them just winning close games because that's what they need to do now this is going to be a grind against buffalo and dallas again and seattle and everybody that they're playing it's going to be a grind the niners but the key is to to pull them out and win and now they're the front runners for the for the number one seed in the nfc by two games right and then for buffalo like did last week represent you know that Hey, we actually we found the problem. Ken Dorsey was the was at fault. We fired him, and then we put up thirty points against the New York Jets, the defense that makes everybody look terrible. Or did they just have you know a pretty good game, and then they relied on the Jets melting down instead of them? My question in this one is: Is this a Josh Allen game? So big games like this are interesting because they don't matter more in the stand. They actually matter less in the standings. Like the fact that the Chiefs lost to the Eagles the other night barely puts a dent in the AFC playoff picture because the, the, it's, it's an NFC-AFC game. It matters less in tiebreakers. It barely puts a dent. Now, this game means a lot for the Bills because they're 6-5, and five, right? and they have a tough schedule, and they have to win it all. Um, they have to win a bunch of them, right? They, they can't have They don't have much margin for error. Exactly. So does this become the Josh Allen game? I thought early in the Jets game they were leaning on him, and then they slowly just said, okay, let's just not lose it. We trust our defense. Zach Wilson's not going to do anything against us. In this game, though, the Bills have to put points on the board. They have to find a way to get their best players making plays. Again, when an OC change happens, it's like, I have I have an idea. Let's throw to Stephon Diggs. I have an idea. Let's run with Josh Allen. Let's use our best players. I think it's going to be Allen and Diggs heavy 
in this one. The one area of the, the Eagles' defense, or the one area that's different from last year, definitely is the defense is not as good, right? Yeah. Like that, they've been injured. They've lost a lot of players through injury in addition to the turnover that was going to happen from last year to this year. It's a very different group. So just expectation-wise, it doesn't make sense for you to say, well, they can obviously get back to where they were a year ago. Different but, but capable, right? They still have a bunch of the same players. Yeah, and those same players are not playing the way they did. I mean, remember last year, picking up James Bradbury for pennies on the dollar was one of the, like, oh, look at that genius move by Howie. Now, Bradbury allowed two touchdowns last season, including their entire Super Bowl run, right? Two touchdowns all season and a pass rating of 52 when targeted. Those are great numbers and absolutely make a huge positive impact in the defense. This year, he's already given up six touchdowns and he's given up a pass rating of 112. Yeah. And it's not even the bargain that it used to be because they re-signed him in the offseason to a big contract. Yeah, 57 grade. It's As much as I did love the Bradbury move, I will say he's had... He's one of those guys that would have like two good years, one bad, right. two good, one bad, whatever. He's been a little So they had, he had like a great year on cheap money, and now he's having a bad year on big money. It's like it's a completely different dynamic. Darius Slay is their best corner, and he's not having a particularly good season either. Um, the pass rush we talked about before is usually amongst the league's best. It's below – It's I mean, it's average right now, right? It's um, – they're, they're not getting anything like the pressure that they used to in their heyday or that the best defenses in the NFL get this year. It isn't as destructive as, as it's been in the past. The linebacker level is worse because they've been dealing with injuries, and the back end is worse because the corners aren't playing as well. So, you know, this is a defense that you can actually attack in a way that wasn't true, certainly last year and, and in their peak years. All right, man, there's a lot to... It sounds like you might be leaning Buffalo here, the way yeah, you're talking Yeah, I think I've just it. talked myself into it. You might be talking me into it as well. I mean, I do. Th- I think Buffalo's going to play better football down the stretch from what we've seen. And if a lot of their issues are really just turnover-driven and a little bit of um, bad bounces and not, not getting luck going their way, right? The defense is catching the ball when you throw it to them for the most part. Could revert back. Eagles coming off a big win on Monday Night Football. I'm kind of with you here. Give me Buffalo to cover the three. Mm-hmm. Eagles favored by three here at home. Um, all right, let's go. Kansas City Chiefs at the Las Vegas Raiders. Chiefs favored by nine. Of course, they're coming off the the loss on Monday Night Football. A lot of discussion here about the Chiefs, their team-building strategy, their receiving core being bad. Um, defense is still really good in Kansas City, going up against a Raiders team that led by Aiden O'Connell which I think, you know, I mentioned on Monday, like if Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback for the Raiders, I think the upside is a little bit higher for that team. I'm not saying it's the wrong move. O'Connell, got to see what you have in him, but I think, that, I think that's a big part of why it's a, a nine-point spread here. Yeah. Um, I wonder at what point the lack of receiving help, wide receiver help for the Chiefs starts to affect um, – not just Mahomes, but like the way they're calling games, the way they actually approach offense. Like Mahomes strikes me as the kind of quarterback that is mentally bulletproof. And even though like the fact that he's saying things in press conferences, like, man, if I just, he was so open, if I threw the ball a little bit closer to him, maybe he'd have caught it, you know? Like there are quarterbacks where if they're saying that, you'd be like, I'm kind of concerned that you're thinking that way as opposed to, even if you're not saying it out loud, yeah, he definitely screwed me on that play. Mahomes, I tend to feel, is impervious to that kind of stuff and just keeps going and believes that 
everybody will get it right eventually. But if how many times can you get let down before you're like, we can't even try these plays anymore. We got to change something. Like we can't rely on our receivers to make plays because Mahomes is putting the ball in their hands and they're not coming up with it. Yeah, I mean their their best plays right now are RPOs and screens. Yeah, I mean that's how they're in the pass game moving the ball. You know, it'll be a called run play, and Mahomes will just flip it out to Rasheed Rice, who picks up. You know, he made Darius Slay look bad in space the other night, which Slay was joking about on Twitter. Those are their best passing plays, and remember, other than a few, you know, Justin Watson plays. Right. And remember, we've had this conversation before of like, how do they keep letting Travis Kelsey? How do teams keep letting Travis Kelsey beat them? Because, and the idea was, well, it looks stupid when you let him have like 15 catches in a game, and it's like, how do you keep? You know, he's their best player. How do you keep letting him? It's because, well, the 15 catches are still better than like putting three guys on him, and then MVS is one on one, and it's a 60 yard bomb, right? from a, a cost-benefit analysis, it's still better to have Travis Kelsey beat you with 15 catches that only go for, yeah. you know, 180 yards than it is to dedicate three guys to him and suddenly you've, you've given up three bombs, one, like two of which maybe are touchdowns. You know, so that's why it happens. But if you can't trust the guy to catch the ball, like that math might be changing. Like you might actually be reaching the point where you're better off bracket covering Travis Kelsey every play taking him away, forcing them to beat you with somebody else, and they can't. Two, two quick takeaways here. I will say, so you've got Mahomes who's had, since the Thursday night game against Denver, probably I think it's three red zone turnovers, mm -hmm. two interceptions. He threw a terrible one against Denver on the Thursday night game a few weeks back, throws a bad one on Monday night. I think he had a fumble in there as well a couple weeks ago. It, it, it's not A couple of those plays he is trying to do too much. So you're, I, I agree. Like I think he he answers questions the way Peyton and Brady yeah. did, right? It's like always, you know, um, share the uh, crit uh, the credit and deflect criticism. Uh, don't criticize your teammates. I think all those answers are right. But on the field, you see you see some pressing, right? You see a little bit of you know trying to probably do a little bit too much on certain plays. But even how he reacts, like they were talking him him up the way he did this on in this game like every time somebody dropped the ball the next pass went to that guy because he's you know he's going right back to them get yeah. him i mean at some point does that become like too predictable I, that was so the second thing i was going to say right when we were talking about tyree kill a few weeks ago and how valuable it, I, I said the, the most valuable thing a receiver can do is get open behind the defense and so one of somebody one of his teammates said Marcos Valdez Scantling he catches that 99 out of 100 times you just we caught the one mm. and I've 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 said before even if it's seven out of ten it's still better yeah because that's a 60 yard touchdown or whatever you know what I mean so Valdez Scantling like you still have like he's still a valuable player he is in a weird slump this year but isn't because that... they've had a few of those deep balls or whatever. But if he like literally, if he runs by the defense ten times and he catches only seven of them, that's good for the team. Right. But now we're in this world where defenses are taking away those explosive plays, right? So he he strikes me as being a victim of this trend right now to force everything underneath and lateral and not deep because he's like a one trick pony as a deep threat, and now you've taken away the opportunities that those guys have. Plus, he's never had the best hands in the world. So if you you've the prop, like the percentage of a problem that is, has just gone through the roof because instead of, yeah, he's going to get seven, seven of those shots in a two-game period. Now he's going to get seven of those shots a season, and if he drops two of them, I mean, what are you bringing to the table at this point? Some deep shots. I mean, look, 
Travis Kelsey is getting that extra attention yeah. a lot of the time. And, and so that's what – I think the pressure is going to be on Mahomes right now to continue to just play within the offense, to, to just throw the ball to the open guy because he does have open receivers, right? There is, there is an open Marcos Valdez-Scantling, an open Travis Kelsey. Like those guys are open. Just continue to run the offense, and over time, I think it will be fine. They, this is not – people are talking about the receiving core, and they're not playing well. But it is literally the same group as last year. Just put Rasheed Rice in for Juju Smith-Schuster. And Rasheed Rice hasn't played the same role as Juju. Juju was a very good, high-volume, do-it-all type of guy last year. But Rice has been excellent after the catch and the best receiver on the Chiefs. You probably have to give him a little bit more. And also, Justin Watson actually making the big plays that he's made has been pretty impressive. So I think they'll be fine. And all that said their defense has been excellent. And so their defense going up yeah. against this Raiders offense in this particular week, I think the Raiders are going to have a tough time moving the ball. Now, under Pierce, where they say, we want to run the ball, I'll say it again this week, if they get into this game flow and Kansas City's run defense has not been great, and you do get Josh Jacobs for four, Josh Jacobs for three, Josh Jacobs for four, Josh Jacobs for three. If you do get into that groove where Jacobs gets 25 or 30 carries and you shorten the game and at the end of the day it's like 21 to 17, you might have a shot to win if you're the Raiders, if you can keep that um, the game flow tight. Um, this is also the first time for us to, uh, to test the theory that Tyree Wilson, who's not a great pass rusher, might be good at being athletic on the edge and keeping contained against Patrick Mahomes. This is this one weirdly specific theory that you have. Yeah, just me. Yeah. Yeah. Tyree Wilson could be good at keeping Mahomes in the pocket. We you, get to see that. You think? Maybe. I, I've never. He's going to have <laughs> an opportunity here okay. to prove his worth. Chiefs by it's a nine here. It's very specific here. worth. It is. And doesn't feel enough, but okay. I, I agree. Chiefs by nine here. Where are you going? Uh, I think the Chiefs will somehow cover that. Tyree yeah. Wilson has nine pressures this season. Tyree? Yeah. yeah. It's not great. It's not at all. On 176 pass rushes, they're also not like good ones. He hasn't. He's had one game with a grade above the orange. But four or five of those are cleanup, aren't they? In pursuit, probably most of them. Yeah. Um, Kansas City covering nine with an offense that is not good. All of the stats, man. No second half. I mean, they had. They have more drop. I know they have zero points in the second half over the last three weeks, but they also have two dropped touchdowns. Yeah. During that time, it is. Well, it's fine. Right now in Kansas City, but I yeah, don't think the bad. receivers will be that bad going forward. Baltimore Ravens at the Los Angeles Chargers. This is Sunday night football. Ravens favored by three and a half at the Chargers. Ravens now in control of the number one seed potentially here at uh, eight and three. How hot do you think Brandon Staley's seat is? It's quite warm. Is this the kind of game that could get you fired? Depends on how it goes. Well, yeah, obviously. It's not the kind of game that gets you fired if you win. But no, it's like how it happens. Okay. You know? If they get lit up, annihilated yeah, he, on defense again. You just never know when he's going to go for it on like fourth and 18 in his own territory. You just never know if that's <laughs> just, just going to happen. It's always a bad sign when things have gotten bad enough that you're getting like testy with the media. Yeah. yeah that tends to be a sort of sign of, uh-oh, we've reached the apex of this thing. I mean, even the rest of the Chargers season, they'll have the Broncos twice, who we know are tough now. They have the Bills and Chiefs as well. That's it. So the Chargers still have to play... This week against the Ravens, the Bills, the Chiefs, so three of the better teams in the AFC, plus two division games against the Broncos, one against the Raiders. So there's other losses to be had there 
for the Chargers. <laughs> you know what I mean? You strive for greatness. We can win. We can lose a few more games here. Um, Justin Herbert coming off a great game that had that featured six drops and a loss mm. against the Packers. It's becoming an interesting dynamic now because I mean it's another offense, right? League wide, there's so many of these where something's not right. Yeah, and I think a lot of the something isn't right is defense is doing a good job, but a lot of it is also, I mean, defenses didn't contribute to Keenan Allen, their best receiver, dropping a pass for a touchdown that hit him in the numbers. Yeah, like defense didn't contribute to Marquez Valdez Scantling not being able to catch a deep ball that he's made his career catching. Right, like this is not a. There's definitely an element to which defenses are contributing to these struggling offenses, but not in specific case by like offenses are also shooting themselves in the foot. This the same way I said I, it, it felt like people weren't focusing on Russell Wilson because the defense was so bad. There's there's this element of that with Herbert where the whole offseason story was, okay, Herbert's going to have Kellen Moore. What's this new offense going to look like? And if Kellen Moore can just get Justin Herbert right, right. and the whole offense right, they'll be fine. But the defense is so bad in not the totality of the defense, but, you know, game to game, blowing fourth quarter leads or the Detroit game where it was, everything was bad. The, but you kind of miss here now, what's the assessment of the Justin Herbert, Kellen Moore um, marriage, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Highest average depth of target for Herbert, more, more big plays down the field than they've had. Still not an egregious number of turnover-worthy plays, but it's higher. And we, we went into the season saying that's acceptable if we're going to you know, exchange that for some bigger plays. Uh, it's his most productive season since his rookie year, for the most part, or since, two, you know, whatever. So it, they, like, it's working overall. I don't know if it is, though. It kind of feels like it's changed. It, it's, it's changed shape a little bit but we've actually just sort of reshuffled the pieces and we've ended up in the I, same spot. My concern is that it's just the, the, the playmakers, it's, it's the receivers. They're just so dependent on Keenan Allen. And Quentin Johnston, like I could talk myself into Quentin Johnston as the third receiver playing a Josh Palmer type of role where, you know, same thing as Valdez Scaling. If he gets, <laughs> I don't know if he gets behind the defense if he'll catch the next one. His ball skills are very Valdez Scaling-like. Mm. But getting behind the defense is still important. And... There'll be some big plays there, but I can't rely on him beyond that. And so Justin Herbert has nobody to rely on besides Keenan Allen. Yeah, That's, I think, the bigger issue, but they're still somewhat productive. One yeah. other thing, Austin Eckler looked so slow the other day. <laughs> Only on one play. Like, he got into the open field. Yes. And so somebody was like, hey, how fast, you know, he looks so slow. He gets into the open field. I had to look it up. It was 18 miles an hour. Usually when you get into the open field, like you accidentally stumble into a 19 or a 20 if you're a, a skill position player. Yeah. Now me, I was on my street last year, and we have, you know, the radar deal there. And I ran, and I think I got like a, a 13. Yeah. And so, you know, Eckler was an 18. So he's faster than you. Yeah, he's faster. Yeah. Harry was like an 11. We had him running. I think he hit 11. It's all made up. Anyway, there's just no explosiveness on this Chargers team. That's the problem. No, I mean, that's, that's a true thing. Um, yeah, look, I, their offense is limited. I mean, they're relying on Keenan Allen, and then Austin Eckler is the other threat. And that's basically it. Uh, and that, I'm sure, impacts what Justin Herbert does and evaluating the Justin Herbert, Kelton Moore thing. But either way, the offense is not – it's not taking a big leap forward where people thought it would, even if there are reasons for that. And then the defense remains bad. So the Chargers aren't good right now. 
And on the other side, the Ravens have this offense that seems to have different answers for different opponents, right? You can run the ball. You can, you can stretch horizontally. You can stretch a little bit vertically. No Mark Andrews now. That will hurt, yeah. certainly. Um, but you've got different ways to win against a defense that has different ways to lose. Different so, ways to lose. Yes. They have a so lot the, of ways. To so lose. the Ravens have a lot of good answers on offense, and the Chargers don't have a lot of good answers on defense. So I like that matchup for the good offense, the Ravens. The Mark Andrews thing is going to be huge. I mean, like that could make that victory against the the Bengals back on Thursday night a you know is that is that going to be a pyrrhic victory where the cost of winning was just too much because Andrews has been their number one receiver for the entirety basically of the Lamar Jackson era. He goes down. Now, number one, that's got to mean good things for Isaiah Likely, who has this incredible receiving skill set from the tight end position. He's going to step into that role. You would imagine he gets a ton of targets and can probably make quite a lot of hay with those targets. The other thing is, oh, Odell Beckham has finally started to look like the last time he was healthy, right, just before he tore his ACL in that playoff run for the Rams where he was going to get Super Bowl MVP and then tore his knee, he's just started to look like that guy again. If he can stay healthy. Now, he just started to look like that and then left the game with a shoulder injury, right? So yeah. who knows? But, like, that could be a sliding doors moment for this Raiders off or the Ravens offense where you lose Mark Andrews, who's been your number one receiver, right at the time another potential number one receiver starts to look like he used to back when he was healthy if that's able to be the transition then i think they're still in good shape if however you know with no mark andrews this looks like a completely different team that's a real blow for a team that is shooting for the number one seed is trying to look like the best team in football you know that's a that's a body blow all right man three and a half the ravens are favored here at the chargers where are you going uh they will cover that yeah, I'm also going to take the Ravens. You and I have been in agreement on like the last seven games. It's all right. We've only right. disagreed on two or three. And one I think I did out of spite. It doesn't always have to be adversarial. doesn't have to be. doesn't have to. We're one game apart this year. I'm mm. now one up on you after picking up it's a couple a games year. last week. All right, Monday Night Football and then a couple bonuses to wrap it up. And Chicago. Both, both of us are, are trailing your child, right, still? No, I got to tally up Harry's yeah. percentage, yeah. He got the um, he missed the Grey Cup like you did. Yeah, hate to see it. Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are favored by three and a half on Monday Night Football. We had Justin Fields coming off of um, good game. It looked better. You know, everything looked better. He did a lot, of, and they ran him a ton. And I also don't understand why, for the second straight year, they came into the year not running him, and then at right. some point they were like, hey, we're going to do this thing again. That's what I'm saying. It's like they didn't learn the lessons from last year. They just reset. That's why predicting the Bears has been tough, because when he does run, I'm not saying they're a playoff team or anything like that, but they're far more competitive than it's they also, were earlier in the year when he's just like sitting in the pocket trying to read it out. It's also a massive way of trying to diffuse all the craziness that the Vikings defense is doing with their three safety looks and who the hell knows when they're blitzing, when they're not. Well, yeah. who cares? We're just going to run Justin Fields. No, that's going to be the matchup, man, because the, the Vikings will, will send six-plus. They'll also drop three, but it's all going to be disguised, and they do a great job, and you know, Fields has not – handled that well historically throughout his career other than when he like you've said before just kind of out athletes everybody and gets to the edge so there are um when i do those pressure quadrants thing right the blitz versus pressure rate there are four nfl teams five if you count the browns that are 
sort of off, they're isolated in their own little data point, right? The Dallas Cowboys, because their pass rush is so insane, yep. they're just off on, by themselves. Cleveland and the Jets, um, Cleveland because their pass rush is really good, but they, they're in the middle in terms of blitz rate. The Jets, because they don't blitz ever, and their pass rush Still is really good. Yep. So they're like bottom right of this quadrant. Uh, the Chicago Bears, because they don't blitz or generate pressure, so they're off in their own little target. And then the Minnesota Vikings, who blitz more than anybody else in the world and don't get pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so those four yeah. teams, essentially, or five, are, are the outliers, the anomalous results relative to the 32 teams in the NFL. They, they don't get pressure, but they've, they've but created... But they confuse some, the ever-living crap out of you. create some chaos, for yeah. sure. Um, and that, that matchup will be uh, definitely an interesting one here. I mean, the Broncos seemed to figure them out as that game went along, right? They were causing them all kinds of problems earlier, and then certainly on that last drive, but seemingly as the game progressed... Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, the offensive dynamic there started to get a handle on what Minnesota was doing. Is Justin Fields and or the Chicago offense capable of doing the same thing? Or if they're confused by this Minnesota defense, will they stay confused for the entirety of the game? Um, Another way of highlighting what you said, the two worst pass rushing grades, which again are more player driven, not so much pressure rate, but pass rush grades, Vikings and the Bears. And so the Vikings are doing it with a blitz-heavy attack. The Bears are trying to win with four and not. Um, so it's not like Minnesota is going to cause some havoc. The Bears don't cause a ton of havoc, even with Montez sweatback. It's not much better. And so we, you mentioned last week, too, the Vikings offensive line has been much better this year, especially last pass protection. They should um, – Give some cleaner pockets here for Josh Dobbs. Yeah, I mean, it was until last week. And until got, last week. They got yeah. wrecked by, uh, by Denver. Yeah, Dobbs is also going to hold the ball. I mean, I thought Chris laid it out pretty well. Like Cousins is going to sit, go through progressions, get to his third read at times. Cousins made a lot of throws with people bearing down on him. Once people are bearing down on Josh Dobbs, he's going to run a little bit. He'll hit one, hit two. When he gets to three, you'll get, you know, that's where his, his scramble value has come in, and he's been one of the most effective running quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Yeah, though I think Denver sort of keyed in on this idea that if that we should blitz him. Like, there are quarterbacks in the NFL that you don't want to blitz, and then there are quarterbacks that you actually want to get moving and just disrupt them from that point of view. Like, they blitz Dobbs 40-something percent of the time. Like, most of the pressure came on the blitz, and every time it happened, the Vikings weren't able to pick it up correctly most, almost every time, and Dobbs just had to start bailing. And yeah. sure, every now and again, he's going to make one of those plays where he scrambles out of, you know, three different guys and ends up getting a first down out of nowhere. But I think Denver actually looked at this and said, you know what, in, in totality, most of those plays are going to be negative. So let's blitz him. This season, Dobbs has only been blitzed 28% of the time. I wonder if Chicago looks at that and said, now they don't blitz. But I wonder if they look at it and say, look, Denver did just kind of give us a blueprint here. Let's just send everything at him. I'm always interested in that when teams have to come out of their comfort zone yeah. to adjust a game plan to an opponent. They don't always like to do that, like to run their own scheme. But we'll see. Three and a half here for the Vikings. Where are you going with this one? Hmm. Uh, Chicago. All right, I'll take Minnesota. To cover the three and a half. I was feeling Chicago a little bit, but they just, they're just coming off that rough one, blowing last week's game as well against Detroit. All right, two bonus games. We have a Thanksgiving matchup between the North Reading Hornets and the Linfield Pioneers. 
It's what we do up in uh, in Massachusetts. I don't know what – every year I kind of bring this up, but I don't know if other states do this, but the end of the season is always on uh, on Turkey Day. You finish the regular season what? against your rival on yeah. Thanksgiving morning. This is what? High school. High school football. football. Okay. High school football. Gotcha. 11 a.m., maybe 10.30, probably 10.30 tomorrow, at Linfield, the annual game. North Reading, you're defending Division Six Massachusetts Super Bowl champs. They are uh, five and four this year, and only th- in three and three in the Cape Ann League. Right. Whereas Linfield is undefeated in the Cape Ann League, but coming off a, a non-league loss. Linfield also won, I think, forty-two to six last year against North Reading, even though we went on to win the the Super Bowl. Hmm. Whatever that means to you. Right. So um, I don't have an official line. I was trying to get word from the uh, soccer coach. But they're at the pep rally. I'm trying to get some inside info if the pep rally went well today, how, the, to get how the, the boys are feeling. To set the line for Yeah, he knows everything. He knows everything about, gotcha. about North Reading. But I, I think it feels like Linfield by six and a half. Okay. Feels like a good line here coming off of last year's beatdown. Maybe more, but Linfield by six and a half. Where are you going with this one? Well you presumably have to go with North Reading. Go Hornets. Right. Go Hornets. So therefore I have to go with Linfield to to okay. take the other side. I'll let you know how this goes. Right. Uh, let us know in the chat if you're taking the uh, the good good old Hornets. Now, now, there's at have, least one or two people from Linfield who listen to this podcast. Does this rivalry have like a name? It's not like the Egg Cup or whatever? Turkey Bowl, maybe? But I think they're all the Turkey Bowl. Right. I think every game it's is just Turkey Thanksgiving. Bowl. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to check. Um, there was a point where both teams would win like one or two games a year. And we're in division, like the lowest division in Massachusetts high school football. There was a point in this rivalry where it could have been the worst possible high school football game in the nation. In the nation, right? They're better now, but there was a point when I was in high school where it may have been, and um, it was impressive. Game it was very nation. impressive. If I was back, I'd still go if I was back home, but I'm not. No. All right, what do you have for us? You have a game as well. Yeah, Saturday, seven thirty in the morning. Liverpool versus Man City, the big Premier League game this yeah. weekend. So what it, champions in waiting Manchester City against the only team that's you know run them close over the last few years Liverpool but aren't as good anymore. What's on the line here? Uh, I mean, if Man City win, it's a it's a, it's a statement that they're probably going to win the league again, which they probably will. And if Liverpool win, it's like, oh, maybe they could actually challenge this year. All right. So not a lot, you know, given it's relatively early in the season. But if Man City win, it's another like, uh, everyone might as well go home again. So who's favorite here? What do we, what's a line here? Well, obviously, it's not as simple as uh, an NFL game where the chances of a draw are minimal. Um, the Liverpool are minus – oh, no, sorry. City are minus 145 to win the game. So heavy favored and because uh, it's a Man City and they're better. Uh, Liverpool are plus 350 to okay. win. And then a draw is whatever it was in the middle. How – how important is home field advantage in soccer? Yeah, it's significant. I mean, yeah. The fact that this is in Manchester is relevant. And, yeah. Yeah. It's not like, a, you know, teams lose at home all the time. but it's and Liverpool's your team? Yeah. I'll take Man City. Yeah, we're probably losing. <laughs> probably losing. We're probably losing hard. I'm also, I'm not betting on Liverpool. They're, they're, they're losing. <laughs> it's smart. All right, let us know in the chat. So three things in the chat. North Reading or Linfield, Liverpool or Man City, and what are you making tomorrow? I want to know that. What are you making for, uh, for Thanksgiving? Yeah. Anything special? I haven't decided yet. I'm what are heading, you doing? I'm heading to Jungle Gyms after this. Oh. I haven't. So lobster. I haven't Remember decided. I gave you lobster last lobster. year? I had forgotten about that. Yeah. So I'm heading to Jungle Gyms yeah. where I will decide what meat takes my fancy. So you're not a 
turkey by default guy. No, God, no. I mean, there's there's only the three of us, right? So getting a turkey is just always overkill. Like if I'm getting poultry of any description, it'll be a chicken, right? Uh, but spatchcocked potentially. Hell yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm also, you know, steaks are always there. I'm. I really, you know, what I haven't done in a long time is Yorkshire puddings. You know what a Yorkshire pudding is? No. Google that right there. Get yourself a Yorkshire pudding going. I tried making one of these a while ago. Not one of these, a batch of these a while ago. And it went disastrously wrong. And yet they are apparently the easiest thing in the world to make for every other human. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to give that another, another swing because I love them and I haven't had them in years. So like a steak and Yorkshire puddings, like that's, I, that, that's, I, I, I'm, that's calling to me. Well, let me know. I'm curious. You let us know in the chat. You see them? Yeah, they look good. Yeah. Yeah, let us know in the chat what you're making. All right. Everybody. You, yeah. You too, Sam. All right, we got to go. We're out of here. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again Monday reviewing all of these games, all the Week 12 NFL and uh, Massachusetts high school action. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. See you Monday.